0: What's new, listeners? I'm Arthur Howells, the host of Two Cents Critic. If you are to mood for reviews of books, movies, and TV shows, then join in. Today, we are reviewing and recapping X-Men First Class, the 2011 soft reboot for the X-Men superhero film franchise. And joining us for that is Sean, host of the movie podcast Review It Yourself, which has just turned two years old into the whole episode on Batman and Robin celebrate that with a couple of my own pod friends, Sean and Clayton from Men Who Like Men Who Like Movies podcast. So very glad to have him on that episode. And I also once guested on movie with Yourself myself to cover Reminiscence, the sci-fi Batman Rebecca Ferguson mm-hmm. movie that I love very much. But hey, if you listen to Ubi with Yourself, you'll know Sean did not care about that movie. But hey, we can have Different opinions on the movies, the cinema.
1: <laughs> Hello, Sean. Hey, Arthur. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm doing great, doing great. Uh, I've been, you know, wanting to get you on the show for a while. This hasn't been in the works for some time, so it's good to have you on. Especially after, you know, again, my first guest spot on your show.
1: Yeah, yeah, you just pick a film you can come back on. Uh, you know me, you, you know I very rarely have people on only once. Oh yeah, definitely. So yeah, it was it was a good episode. I just, just bring something better next time. <laughs> I still haven't got over reminiscence genuinely that genuinely that I've got a few episodes in the pipeline, you know what I'm like and I still I'm still I still haven't got over reminiscence. still haven't got over it. Oh, it was a shock. it was a real shock. <laughs> it really was. Uh, what a journey. Uh, but yes,
0: we've got Sean here now to again cover X-Men first cast. This is the movies that I've been wanting to cover on two Critics for some time. Because, I'll just say, say this right now, it has been my favourite X-Men movie, and even now, continues to be my favourite X-Men movie. And I'm actually curious about you, is this, like, how does, how does this rank for you among the X-Men movies out there?
1: This is this is one of the best. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, I think this is only maybe the second or third time I've actually seen it. But I when, when you gave me the list of films, I saw First Class and I was like, yeah, that'll do because I've i been considering doing the X Men myself for for a while, mm-hmm. you know. When you you just think, oh yeah, that's good. Cause you know me, I'm not a massive. I don't mind superhero films, but I'm just a bit fed up of them. But yeah, the X Men films are strong. And I remember when First Class was announced, and I thought, oh really? Like another one, you know? But it came out swinging, and I'd forgotten how how good it was really. So yeah, it was it was yeah. I think in terms of where it ranks, I mean, I think X Men Two is the best to be honest. Then probably X-Men. Then maybe X-Men, Last Stand. Excuse me, which I know people have got a bit of an issue with. Um, I I do think it's a weak one. I think probably First Class probably probably comes above Last Stand. And I like Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. uh, and then Apocalypse maybe. Yeah. I haven't seen Dark Phoenix. I heard it was actually horrendous, so I've skipped that one uh, so far. Oh,
0: Dark Phoenix. No, not a good one. But Days of Future Path, I thought that was pretty decent. Not fantastic, but decent. And a few of, a, a few of my film friends were actually like, Days of Future Path, so, like, they love it. But, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's got some good like qualities. I've got my like, complaints about Days of Future Path, but it's pretty good. I feel like uh, X2, I think specifically X2, that's also very good. I think that's probably my second favorite. X-Men movie. Yeah. And yeah, so, X-Men First Class, before getting to our general thoughts and feelings, Not spoilery, of course, on the movie, I'll offer up a bit of trivia for it, and say that this was directed by Matthew Vaughn, who has also directed Layer *Take*, Stardust, Kick-Ass, The Kingsman movies, and the upcoming spy movie, Argyle, which looks like, it, Argyle looks like it could be fun, I... I I don't know. It looks like it could be kinda of cringy, but also hopefully fun too. Have you have, have you seen Argyle yet?
1: No, I've not heard of it, but it sounds interesting.
0: Yeah, it's a upcoming yeah, Matthew Vaughn movie and got like a, a Sam Rockwell isn't it? Bryce Dallas Howard, Henry Cavill, Dua Lipa. It looks like it could be fun.
1: Oh sounds interesting. If Cavill's joined on board then it'll be worth checking out at least.
0: Yeah. And the screenplay was Written by a couple of writing teams. So we have one writing team, Ashley Edward Miller and Zach Stentz, who also have co writing credits for Saw and Asian's Cody Banks. And then the other writing team for the script is Jane Goldman and Matthew Vaughn. And Jane Goldman has co written a few of Vaughn's movies, as well as boasting other writing credits like X Men Days of Future Past, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, The Limehouse Golem and the upcoming Edgar Wright movie, The Shane. And then the story was written by Sheldon Turner, whose other credits are Up in the Air, The Longest Yard, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning. And the other writer for the story is Brian Singer, the notable Hollywood pedophile, who's directed a few excellent movies for Human Rhapsody, the, the Usual Suspects, and Valkyrie. And then the budgets for X-Men First Class is it goes from 140 to 100, $160 million. That's what I can find for it, like somewhere in the range for the budget. The domestic box office, it brought in $146.4 million. And then the worldwide total, again, for the box office, was $353.6 million. So, you know, a good, good chunk of money. Although the budget is quite high, I must say. I mean, I guess, for a superhero movie, yeah. I guess maybe it's more expected, but still. One hundred forty to one hundred sixty, but still pretty high, especially for a movie that came out back in two thousand
1: eleven. Yeah, there's lots of lots of CGI in there. You can see that, that sometimes the film's vision kind of exceeds its money. I think so. I think the, there's a there's a weighty budget in there, but it's it's decent on the yeah. whole. I think the uh, the diamond. I think that's possibly the worst. I mean, it's not horrendous.
0: Yeah. But
1: it's, like, so obviously CGI, it's like, did you really have to have her in it? Okay. It's, it's, like, was it worth having her in?
0: It's funny that you bring that up, because I was going to comment on that myself. when I Because I think the VFX is actually pretty good for the most part, but, like you, I do think Emma Frost's diamond form is definitely the weakest part of the CGI. Like, you're saying, it's like, oh, do we really need this? I don't know. I don't think we do. Oh, but that's what I have to offer for the trivia. And now we can we can get into our general thoughts and feelings on X Men First Class, non spoilery again. So, Sean, what do you think of the movie?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's good. I mean, I think. I mean, I made very few notes. That's always a good sign <laughs> when I'm watching a film. the the like The fewer notes I make, the better, because you know I know you're asking for a recommendation at the end of this, but I've. I've just put myself through episode one of Doctor Who Flux, and dear God in heaven, that is oh so boring. It's unreal. So I was just sat making notes, <gasps> just just because I was bored, to to keep myself awake. So oh no. uh, th- this this one's pretty good. So I mean, I, I, it's surprisingly dark for a twelve A. This is how I prefer my Marvel. Like if there could be a bit more like this, you know, a bit more grit in them. I think I think it was a. It takes some quite brave choices. I think the decision in the opening scene to refilm the opening of X Men two thousand the two thousand film, the first nice. one, um, which shows um, Eric Leschner, um arriving at Auschwitz. I mean, we, we, I think that was that was brave of them. I don't. I, I think it's slightly. I don't know if this is to do with the twelve A, but it feels slightly. No, sanitises the wrong word. Slightly, slightly less emotional this time around. I don't know, I don't quite know why, because I watched, because when I was watching it, I was like, I put the right film on, and then I checked, because it's been a while since I watched it. Yeah, because they, um, they, do, they
0: the... do reuse some footage, not all of the footage, but they reuse some footage from the first scene from the first X-Men movie, and then yeah splice it into the opening of X-Men First Class.
1: I thought they'd refilmed it completely. Oh no, they used some
0: they did some reused footage, and I actually I actually went back to the openings of those movies just double check, yeah. and it's like oh they definitely reused some footage.
1: Yeah, but but no, overall, um, an interesting choice. I think it's a good story. Quite you know, lent into historical events quite quite heavily, but you no, know, I don't mind that. And then they they go and do the the best thing they possibly could do, which is. They cast James McAvoy as uh, you know Charles Xavier and um yeah, yeah. and Michael Fassbender as as you know Magneto or Eric Lynchner, because to be fair if there's one thing you think about with, with those two characters it's like the iconic portrayals of Sir Ian McKellen and Sir Patrick Stewart so it's like right okay what what are we up against here because that that's where it's gonna fall down because they they have that issue whenever they try and redo you know these classic characters you know I I'm not a Star Wars person by any means but. You know, I have friends who are massive Star Wars fans, right? And it's like Han Solo when they made that film, or Solo, sorry. Um, it, it's Harrison Ford. What What are you doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? You do. There's some things that you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do. Uh, but it's Hollywood, and they want money, so of course they do it. But yeah, but overall, a, a really strong, a really strong film. I don't want to give away too much of my uh, too much of my notes at this point, but uh, yeah, good, really, really good.
0: Nice, nice, and. I just want to comment on Solo with Star Wars Story, because I actually think I, I like Alden Ehrenreich's performance. Like I, I think he himself is an actor, he's got some talent, like I think he was also great in Oppenheimer and Fair Play. But he, even if he's giving a good performance in Solo with Star Wars Story, it's not what the movie is looking for in terms of that Han Solo energy that Harrison Ford himself brings. So yeah, I just had
1: my own problems with that as well. Well, it's 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 just a baffling choice. Yeah, it is. In terms of like, why would you choose to make a film? I mean, I'm not even a Star Wars, but I'm really not. But what? Why would you do it? Yeah, why? Because you're not you're not going to do it better. It's like the Star Trek obsession, the later series, like the last few years, which I don't really watch. The obsession with having like, oh, this person's Spock's sister, or he is Spock, or he is Spock. Well, they're not Spock either. So let's not try. Like, no, no I'm not, I'm not. I'm not talking about the 2009 ones because I thought that. Um, What's his name? The lad from.
0: Oh, um, uh, you mean to uh, fringe? Wait, did you mean to the uh, Chris Pine movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who I, yeah.
1: Whoever I, if, um... yeah, whoever played him in that, his name's gone. His name's completely gone. Uh, he was good, but it's like in the TV series, it's like, why? What? Why are you doing this? Just Zachary quinton Oh, Zachary. Oh, yeah. Okay. The, spa- Zach- the spark right. actor. Zachary Quinto. That's not. How, yeah, that's not who I'm talking about. The other. Uh, that is who I'm talking about. But I mean, like. The Spock thing. I mean, like, yes. the series and stuff, it's like, why are you doing it? Just leave it alone. Like, oh, here's, here's, you know, here's, you know, Captain James T. Kirk. Well, well, it's not, is it? Because that's Shatner. So can we just, we just move along, you know, type thing. That's, that's the feeling you get. Yeah,
0: I understand that. I understand that. But to get back to X-Men First Class, and I would say, you know, just overall, you know, I love this movie a lot. And just to even focus on what you were saying about James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender. I mean, that's one of the Best things about this movie is that they just slip into these roles so well, and I, like, if, if between the two incarnations of of Magneto between Ian McKellen and Michael Fassbender, I I don't know if it's it's a hot take, but I personally prefer Michael Fassbender's version over Ian McKellen
1: oh I knew you, I knew you were going to say that I, the minute you started I thought he's good he's, I know what he's going to do I know what he's going to do he hasn't broke he hasn't broken my heart enough with this reminiscence nonsense he has to he has to go ahead and put I mean to be fair to Fassbender very 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 good yeah um, very very good actor and um, you know I'm oh, sorry you well,
0: and they're both fantastic like Ian McKellen lots of love from him I think he does a um, a wonderful job and the role of magneto. It's just my personal preference, and maybe it's because it's pro- maybe it's because X Men First Class was the first ever X Men movie I had seen. Like I hadn't seen any of the original yeah. X Men movies before that. I was just jumping into X Men First Class because I was like, well, this is like a soft reboot of the continuity, even though it does get red with Days of Future Past. But no matter, still it's soft reboot, and I was like, hey, you know, let's jump into here with this new movie. And so I do have like a connect, so maybe it's connection there that's leading me more more towards newer actors. But yeah, I just feel like the way that this movie portrays Magneto and and Professor X, I just think it really delves us into these characters, and the actors are doing a great job fleshing them out. And I think, especially this movie, like this movie is such a Magneto origin story. And I think it really follows along with them. It's like showing this this complex. Morty Gray character, and you feel for his quest for vengeance, and you're you're kind of like rooting for him. You want him because you can you can feel some of the light in him. You feel like he can reach for that hope, reach for the light, but then you know obviously he has the to downward arc Where it's like eventually he does become Magneto. Like, you know, he takes on the helm of a villain, and I think that this movie this movie really shows that it's such a heartbreaking light. And Michael Fassbender is able to carry on all of that weight and not only be heartbreaking but also like whenever eric is on screen and he is in like he is in fighting mode i'm also terrified of him he is such a genuine menace and i'm like oh he can like if he wants to kill you and you're not a mutant you're just a regular old human and he wants to kill you he'll kill you there's no doubt about that he'll make he'll make it very fast
1: i mean it's a bit more nuanced I think he's, he's a Nazi hunter at the beginning of the film. So it starts off, he's in Auschwitz. For anybody who doesn't know, sorry, I don't mean to take over. He's in Auschwitz, isn't he? Uh, as a young boy, um, his, mom gets t- his mom and dad get taken, presumably to be gassed. And unfortunately, we don't see his dad again, so I presume. And then we see his mum. We have um, Sebastian Shaw, a.k.a. Kevin Bacon, well, who's, who's menacing this. Let's try
0: to stay away from too big, like you know, from like, you know, spoilery, too many spoilers. No, that's that nice. okay
1: so i th- i think think the the opening bit is is, is pretty good uh tr- bit of trivia uh, the young eric uh, in this this film is played by bill milner who was in dunkirk 2017 oh. and i was trying to figure out where i knew him from and he played at in anthropoid uh the 2016 film and he was also in the tv um film uh, my boy jack with daniel Radcliffe in 2007 so there you go that's oh. a bit of trivia for yeah. me there.
0: very nice and yeah, we'll we we'll, we'll get back to that prologue because obviously in the plot breakdown we we'll get back to that prologue. I have my I have some thoughts on it, but yeah, I just feel like this fleshed out the character as well, and even aside from Magneto, his like I feel like this movie does a good job at portraying how the X Men themselves began. I, I, like, I like that whole story. I think that not all of the characters get that much to do, I would say But I feel like a good amount of the characters It's like, oh, you you, you have some meat to work with and you and you've got a, a great cast here Even if it's just aside from McAvoy and Fassbender, we have like, you know, Jennifer Lawrence on board as well And Nicholas Holt, I feel like they're a couple of my favorites particularly in this cast Kevin Bacon, she does quite a bit with this villainous role as Sebastian Shaw and I feel like Shaw, as himself, like, writing wise, isn't that memorable of a, of a character, of a villain, but I think Kevin Bacon does a lot with him, like, gives this suave presence to the, to the character that makes him more memorable than he would be if someone else played him. And Kevin Bacon was actually Matthew Vaughn's first pick, top pick for this character, for this role, alongside Conan First. And I will say, I would have actually loved to see Conan in as, as well as, as Shaw. Like, I'm satisfied with Bacon, but I think First would have done a great job as well. Again, like, that, that refined, polished air.
1: Yeah, I would, that would have been a bit of an odd choice, but you never know, it might have surprised me.
0: Uh, oh, an, an odd choice, okay, I, I think it would have, been, would have been great, interesting, but... And uh, the, the action scenes, I feel like the action scenes in this were quite good, quite dynamic. I have a little nitpicks here and there, but overall, quite, uh, quite compelling. I like a Henry Jackman's score, I really into that. In fact, like, particularly with what he does with the themes, like there's the first class theme, kind of like the main theme for the X-Men, and then there's the Magneto theme, and those two themes particularly stand out to me, they're probably like among all of these superhero scores I've heard, I feel like, the, you know, among the, the top spots, I just really enjoy the themes. Particularly, like, I feel like the Magneto theme is really good, That's, it's just like a, like a full-on villain theme, I love that score. And I, have quite a bit of faith for this movie overall that being said I maybe have you know I have some some gripes like for, for example there's one character Darwin who we won't get into at this moment but that character I feel like this movie could have utilized Darwin with much more versatility rather than just handling him the way they did you know again we we'll get, we'll get into that when we talk about Darwin and plot breakdown but I don't like that I also found the movie just casually whips out some sexual objectification of women. It's so so casual, so like, unnecessary, and I'm not just like, why? It's not the most terrible thing I've seen, but it's just like, why? You don't need this.
1: What, which bit?
0: Just little bits and pieces, like the way that, for example, Moira is introduced, or the way that Angel is introduced, and I feel like maybe kind of like Emma Frost. It's just like little bits and pieces like that, where it's like, you're showing a lot of women, just like in in broad 90s. It's just like very unnecessarily, aren't you? <gasps> Movie. I don't
1: know. I just can't say I noticed. I th- I th- I th- Am I right in thinking all those characters are, are outwardly mutant, though? So that there's the diamond-looking one, the blue one. And... Yeah. It was, it,
0: well, well, I wasn't. I, I feel like Raven. I feel like Raven was like not really sexually objectified. It was just more like Emma Frost. I, even though I, I know I know in the comics, I feel like Emma Frost kind of like has like sexuality to her character. Maybe that's more of a relevant thing. But I just feel like like Moira, the CIA agents, and then there's Angel when she's introduced when they're like looking for the mutants.
1: Oh no! Well, she no. Sorry, I remember now. Right? Okay, yeah. The, well, the agent she she does it on purpose. Yeah. She, so yeah. she's trying. She's trying to infiltrate that club where there's the Glenn Moore shower from Twenty Four is is in there. Is this commander? So she's like, all right, I'll. I'll follow him yeah. in, so she strips down to way Yeah, I just... To, essentially, her underwear, because, her underwear and a bra, because it helps her get it. Yeah, so aside,
0: I... but I feel like the movie could... It's like, I feel like the movie could have executed it differently. It's just like, eh, you could have written this differently, you know? I just felt like it was unnecessary, in my opinion.
1: Well, yeah, fair enough.
0: Yeah, aside from that, I just feel like, again, just a top-notch movie, and... Oh, also, the editing. I actually really like some of the editing choices, too, by the editor, Eddie Hamilton nice editing in in the movie too and i'll point them out as we go but aside from that i feel like that's what i've got to say about this movie x-men first class so now we can get into our wind-up score and that is a score that we give it ranges from 0 to 100 for x-men first class so sean what is your wind-up score out of 100 yes out of 100 0 to 100
1: um i feel 69, 70, It feels fair. I think it's it's good, and it's good performance. Oh, the performances are good, but I think yeah, maybe maybe like my fourth favorite X Men film. So, although to be fair, I think I probably preferred Days of Future Past because I quite like the action. So yeah, me, me, a good seventy overall. I think I think's fair. Um, yeah, it's a bit harsh. Yeah, I'm quite happy with that. A good seventy.
0: Good, good. Yeah, you know it's your score to represent your feelings, and I must say, Days of Future Past. After watching First Class, I will say, I was thinking about that movie, and I was like, Hey, you know, I, I don't know, I've got to come in the mood to re-watch that sometime. You know, refresh my thoughts on it. And then my wind-up score for X-Men First Class is going to be 85 out of 100. Yeah, that's appropriate, that's my, again, my favorite X-Men movie, and again, I've got my complaints with it, so gripes here and there, but overall, it's really strong. I think it is characters, especially Eric the transformation into Magneto and the uh, the emotional weight of this movie i think it is all very satisfying to watch also this movie was originally going to be like an X-Men it was going to be like you know how like so those X-Men Origins Wolverine well this movie was originally going to be like X-Men Origins Magneto first, and then it got revised, turned into X-Men first class.
1: Yeah, because X-Men X Men Origins Wolverine was not great, so they were like, yeah, we're not doing Yeah,
0: anything. I can, I've seen it, so I can confirm, but yeah, it's a, no, not good. It was a dud.
1: <gasps> yeah, the Wolverine's good, though.
0: So, oh, the Wolverine, okay, I, I haven't seen that one yet. So it's
1: the one set in Japan, that one's good. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. And then I, I will, I will... Yeah, then there's Logan, isn't there, which I thought was, I thought was okay, I wasn't I wasn't as enamoured by Logan as a lot of people were.
0: Oh, okay, interesting. I, lo- I love Logan, I must say. Okay, very interesting. Well, those are our wind scores. So now we can get into the plot breakdown for X-Men First Class. So listeners, if you have not seen the movie yet, I recommend you pause the podcast and go watch it. Check it out for yourself, it's quite good. But if you have seen the movie or you haven't, but you're okay with spoilers, then you can stay right here.
1: Why would anybody listen to a podcast if they haven't seen the film? I mean, that's bizarre. I I just I just do mine. I honestly do my episodes. Hence my four par earlier with the spoiler. In the if you if you listen to my podcast, then I'm thinking like one of my my episodes. I'm thinking, well, if you haven't seen it, and you listen to my podcast. Then whatever spoiler you get is your own fault, not mine. <laughs> so, but I I admire I admire that your format. It's a different way of doing it. Respect the way you do it. But for me, I'm like, yeah, nah more considerate maybe
0: <laughs> yeah you know that's just my style I would admit I what if like if I have something on the watch list and I end up like a podcast for that thing it's like oh sometimes I'll hold off on it other times if they do have a thing where it's like hey we won't cover spoilers until this point then I'll tune in you know it it depends yeah. on what the format is in the podcast and also like how much I care about spoilers for this thing
1: yeah yeah I suppose
0: Okay, yeah, so X-Men First Class, so as you pointed out before, we have the Auschwitz opening, deploying reuse footage from the from 2000s X-Men, and still, like, you know, as you were saying, like, a, vra- a brave choice, definitely, because I, like, I feel like if this movie had come out when Disney owned Fox, I really don't think they would, like, Disney would let this happen, like, having a scene open up right in Auschwitz, <laughs> and I, and personally like, I like this the way, it's, like, I think it, like, it is good to set the tone for the movie, but I don't think anything about that happen. No.
1: Hmm. Yeah. See. The, well, this is the issue, isn't it? I mean, di- well, look at the state Disney's got itself in, anyway. So. Oh. But but I think I think for me, I mean, yeah, you've got to. Um, sometimes it's best to, and we know. Well, we know you can't you can't get away from it because we. I mean, they could have ignored it, but we know that that's. Because we get a little bit of you know Eric Clentz's background in X Men and and a few. You know a few bits in the, in the in that first trilogy, so I think we we already know. So yeah, they could have skipped it, but I think it would have been a strange choice. And again it provides us with the main villain. So Yes yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, strange. It's just like, yeah, and you wanna give coverage to his backstory. Like this is where like this is where he comes from. This is so important, so integral to his character, to building it up. So you know, it's good to keep it in here and so yeah, so he's there with his parents, but then his parents got separated from him, you know, to get gassed, and, and in the process he bends the metal gate to try to get them back. And the, as a Nazi officer, Klaus Schmidt, who will later become Sebastian Shaw, played by Kevin Bacon, he's here, he witnesses that whole scene. And that was like, you know, see little, little bits and pieces like that, where it's like, oh, Shaw wasn't here. And uh, and 2000's X-Men, you know, that's like a little decision they made. And then we cut to a mansion and. Westchester County, New York, where then we meet a young Charlotte Xavier and a shapeshifter, Raven, and this is the first the time they're meeting each other as she's trying to steal some food, but she isn't scared of her, and he's, gra- he's glad to meet another mutant like him. Well, she
1: pretends to be his mother, doesn't she? She pretends to be his mother, and she's like, yes. oh, you gave me a fright, I was just making some hot chocolate, would you like some hot chocolate? And he's like, who are you? <laughs> My mother's never set foot in this kitchen in her life, and certainly ought to offer me a hot chocolate. Except to ask the maid to do it, you know, so that that was, that's quite a creepy because you're like, what the hell's going on here? So, yeah. yeah.
0: (gasps) And, and, and Charles, he possesses telepathy, and now there's a bonding Raven and Charles. And then we cut back to Auschwitz, where Eric meets Schmidt, who is talking about genes unlocking the future of mankind. And then he orders Eric to try to move a coin, but Eric isn't able to do that. So he has him endure this test where he brings in Eric's mom and is like, Hey, let's do something. You need to move this coin, and I'm going to count to three, and if you don't, I'll shoot. And Eric, unfortunately, is not able to move the coin. So, Smith shoots his mom. And that's when Eric finally unleashes his powers against all the metal around him, throwing it around, even like crushing the helmets of the two soldiers into their heads. And I will say, just seeing, like, I don't think it's as good as it could be because, like the kid, like there's something very over the top about the way the kid who plays young Eric is screaming, and it just makes you feel like, oh, it's supposed to be terrifying, but it's like he doesn't have to scream like that, like or like may even like may, sh- like throw around all of the metal crap and just like, like this this little lab room next door. It's just like just like being silent and crushing the helmets into the two soldiers' heads would have been enough to shoot some fear into me.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think it's more an anguish scream at all. I don't think it's meant to be angry, but again, I think it is one of those scenes that goes one or two ways for you. Even watching it, I was like, why have you left him alive? Like, <laughs> everybody else around is dead, but you've left him alive? Why? Because to be fair, it, it felt like to me that uh, they, they should have showed a bit more. They should have showed a bit more because they have, like, Schmidt kind of put his arm around him, like, oh, we're going to make... you know." We're, great work together type of thing and it would have been good to see a little bit more of that because you don't know like did he become this strange father figure twisted father figure to him you know uh or at least this weird mentor to try and unleash his powers it felt like they needed to show more more of that maybe the, the dvd i had didn't have any deleted scenes so maybe that was the plan or maybe that we're going to extend it and fit in yeah or the, they they held it back for like maybe the sequels and stuff but you know you don't know it did but I think the performance of the kids pretty good, but yeah, uh, different, different, different horses for different courses, I suppose. Oh. I feel
0: like from the few moments we got, I that show the relationship Eric and Sean. I feel like it's definitely like, oh yeah, she was kind of like somewhat of a father figure to him, like a a very dysfunctional form of that. But yeah, maybe maybe we could have used a few more moments like that. So now if they have that relationship. And he wants to unlock Eric's ability, his pain and anger, he says, and then he gives him the coin. And now we get the opening credits, and I like how the transition is created when we focus on the coin. And we cut from that to then jumping to 1962, where Eric, now he's played for Michael Fassbender, and now he's in Switzerland, and he is still on the hunt, like he's basically a, a Nazi hunter at this point. And the moment when he shoots the coin, at the forehead of the drawing, he's got of Schmidt now saw on the wall. It was like, oh, that's some foreshadowing that I did not catch the first time around when I first saw this movie a while ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I'd, I'd forgotten that bit. When you've seen the film once over, that's quite ominous for you. Uh, when he 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 fires the five Reich marks at, at like out of this photo on the wall, that's yeah, pretty, pretty ominous.
0: And Eric is on a mission to avenge his mom. So if it's kind of funny how we're like, oh, okay, so no feelings
1: about his dad. Well, I mean, it's both. Is it, it's it's definitely for both. I mean, and then because you get you get. I don't feel like it focuses on that. the dad though. I feel like it's just the mom
0: that he cares about.
1: Well, I mean, his mom gets killed in front of him, so I suppose that probably brings it more to the far. I think. I think his dad. He doesn't see his dad. Dad. His dad just disappears. Yeah, he's just sent off. Which is the, the way. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it would have been. You you didn't see them again. They were just gone, presumably. Yeah. And then I think it's. It's more like you see it when he goes to the Swiss, the Swiss banks. So he's like a Nazi hunter goes to Argentina, South America, naturally because that's where a lot of Nazi criminals fled yeah. to. Mengele. oh God, what's his name? And yeah, anyway, so and you had Nazi hunters like Simon Wiestel, Wiesenthal. So you know, it makes sense. So he goes there, and and you can see how angry you know how, how angry he is, and you know he kills quite a few ex Nazis on his well, well, Nazis on his way there. <gasps> Um, and I think for, and it, but you can see that he he's kind of avenging you know because he, he's Jewish he's avenging them as well because it's when he goes to the, the Swiss bank in Geneva and he puts the he puts the Nazi gold bar down and he says oh that you know this is all that's left of my people you know you rip the fillings out of the teeth I mean it, again like it's a very very dark tone. Which again would they do it now? Possibly not. Yeah. Well, probably not. But um, yeah. but work, but works for the film, and f- it feels like they they tread a very tread a very fine line because you with something like the Holocaust or any kind of historical event like that, you need to tread a very fine line between portraying it and people thinking you're exploiting it. Yeah, I mean, exploiting is a, a you know, I'm I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying I, I can see. If you don't treat it respectfully and you just treat it as a as like any other background kind of event, sometimes that it can come across as a little bit. Yeah, we're not sure whether you should have done this or not, but I think they tread the line. They tread the line carefully. I'd say
0: I do think so too. Yes, yes. Then we meet Charles, Charles behavior now played by James McAvoy, as he is flooding with a coed and charming her with talk about genetic mutations because of her heterochromia, but Raven played by Jennifer Lawrence now, interferes, and, uh, you know, we'll get back to this whole beat about Charles using, like, some mutation, flirtation, later on, but just, like, it is so cheesy, like, I laugh at it, like, I'm laughing, and it's like, why, and, you know, the movie knows, the movie knows, it's too, like, you know, the movie knows, like, what are you doing, Charles? It's just, like, oh, the mutations, talking about the genes, think
1: things. No, it works, it works. It works, but... It works. So, you know, I mean, it well, it would have worked. And it's clearly worked before. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, get, it gets shut down by, uh, is it Myra later on? No, not Myra. Uh, it gets shut down by the, the agent later
0: on. Uh, yeah. Right, oh, yeah, more, yeah, Moira later on, but right now more, yeah, yeah, right yeah, now, yeah,
1: yeah. it's Raven.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I know, also, yeah. Uh, why didn't the co-ed notice Raven switching on her own heterochromia? Because
1: she's got eyes for Charles. <laughs> she's just got eyes for, eyes for Charles. She's, she's not bothered. She's... She's taking out all, all, all this chromatic flirt taking flirting. She doesn't care. She doesn't care about Raven's eyes. She stayed deeply at Charles.
0: I mean, James Back Boy is a very handsome fellow. So I mean that is reasonable. And I should also note that his co ed, the woman that uh, Charles meets, is played by Annabelle Waters, who is of course from Malignance. Annabelle, the Tom Cruise led reboot as a mummy. So, yeah, it's funny to see up. Oh her.
1: God, that's what she's out of. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh no. did you recognize her? No, because I've not seen any of the other films you've just mentioned. But oh, okay. I've seen that okay. one. Oh, the the well, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll she does all right in this. I'll hold off. Maybe she. I'll try and check out some more of her stuff before I come to a conclusion. She's fine in this. She's okay. Yeah. She's
0: fine. She's the lead in both *Malignant* and *Annabelle*. And *Malignant*, I've seen that, and I can highly recommend that. That's a very a very good horror movie if you're into bonkers shit
1: yeah, I'll, I'll give it, I'll, well, I'll give it a look at some point.
0: And then Raven takes issue with Charles saying, like, oh, you know, mutant and proud, because he said that to the co mutant and proud. But Raven is like, well, that's not true. Like, I can't, I can't fully embrace that. And my natural, if I'm in my natural blue skin form, I have to be, look like a human. I know as a, a shapeshifter. So she gets pissed about that. And she also asks Charles if he'd want to date her looking, uh, like, you know, looking like this. But he's like oh I can't think of you that way you no know, because you're my you're my oldest friend
1: yeah I mean because kind of like he, he calls her he, he Charles says oh this is my sister Raven when it clearly well it isn't but I think yeah he's he's definitely she she is definitely in love with him oh, yeah. you could definitely see that she is yeah and he, he he's just firmly closed that door for what for whatever reason we, we don't know but that's that's the thing he treats her more like family I mean which Kind of makes sense for his character because, yeah, even though he grew up in this opulence, you know, like how did you ever, how did you ever stand the, you know, the hardships of your of your back of your upbringing, <laughs> Charles? Like, so you know, yeah, I, I get the the that kind of thing, but it doesn't mean he had a particularly easy life in terms of like he might have been cared for physically, but emotionally he seems to have been quite neglected from what what we can gather, particularly like it, it, we don't we don't we don't see his dad, not no, no hiding a hair of him. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting, um, yeah. when you think about it, it's it's, yeah, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, you've got, you've got that going on, and even for other things, like Charles, I feel like he he also has a desire to be, to want to fit in with humanity, and it helps that his power is like being a telepath, if not anything physical, which does get pointed out, and then for Raven, her her power is a physical, it takes on a physical form, so that puts her more in the spotlight in terms of how... People would be bigger towards her if it were to be revealed that hey, she's a mutant.
1: Yeah, because it, you know it, Charles can essentially hide, but he doesn't consider it hiding. But he is, whereas she has to hide her complete self. It, it's a bit like Beast or, or, or a bit like other characters later on. Yeah. They're the same in terms of like that they are physical manifestations of their mute of their mutant genes rather than Charles and and Eric who essentially can Magneto, or who can essentially. You don't know they're mutants until they reveal they are. Yeah,
0: Yeah. telekinesis. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's an interesting thing that it kind of argue that they kind of argue. It's something that you know you were talking about the humans as well. It's something that we saw. You know the original Magneto and uh, Professor X argue about and discuss in the first three. Yeah. In the first three films of well, you know the humans and, and Magneto takes the, the length of well they they'll fight their own extinction the human the, you know the human beings that where the next step in the evolutionary ladder and they're going to die out and then it leans even whereas Charles is very much like we can work alongside them it doesn't have to go down that way, but then there's an argument that he's blinkered and to be honest when you when you watch th- this film in particular I find myself yeah morally I'm with Charles but logically I'm with I'm with Magneto in terms of this is not going to go down the way you wanted to Charles. Like you can, you can pretend all you like, but it's not going to go down that way. And I do appreciate the way they look into that. I mean, speaking of like my last point, sorry, speaking about the whole thing about, you know, Charles and his flirting, you know, he's a professor of genetics. That's how the CIA, the CIA, sorry, get involved with him because they, yeah, but we need yeah. the expert on genetics, which is the really, that line's not great, but never mind. I'll, I'll let it go. Um, and there goes, he becomes a professor um, and he he is uh, an expert in genetics. And he says, you know, peaceful... Co- co- he's talking about Neanderthals and Homo sapiens. And he says, you know, peaceful cohabitation, if ever it existed, was short-lived and the less evolved kin, wherever the Homo sapiens arrived, the Neanderthals went extinct. So that that, you know, he's seen that before and he's talking about it. Whereas Magneto's saying, this isn't going to go down this way. They're not going to go down without a fight. The Homo sapiens sapiens, as we are now, he's like, they're not going to go down without a fight. It's not going to happen that way. And then it it reminds you, because it's interesting, because obviously this comes after the last stand, but that's essentially what happens in the last stand. Like X-Men 2, they're doing all the legal ways about, sorry, X-Men and X-Men 2. There's all the legal stuff where they're trying to essentially, you know, catalog them and, Eric Clenchner says that in here, and I know it's made after it, so you can. Get, it's a bit easy for them to write it, but he says, "Oh, that's how it starts. First, they catalogue you, you know, then they experiment on you, then they execute you." Which we know what he's alluding to. So you've got all that going on. Whereas Charles doesn't have that yeah. that kind of mindset because he didn't have the same upbringing. But they are, there's a point where you think they could, and they do work together. Um, I don't want to spoil it. They do it together to find all the other mutants and that kind of thing, so well, that was interesting.
0: Oh yeah, I love it too, like, yeah, just, yeah, know, just how morally grey this gets, all, like, sort of the little conflicts and it's looks like, and even the way it just also relates to the human, to the human world, our real world, and just, like, yeah, like, the identification, that's, like, a very real process, like, the identification, and disseminating propaganda, and then eventually leading to experimentation and elimination, that's all, like, part of the the genocidal process. Yep. And then we have Eric meeting the uh, Swiss bank manager which we had mentioned earlier in order to gain entire on 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 uh, on Sean and then he's in Argentina. That was another terrifying scene. Again, makes it clear Eric has the potential to kill anyone he wants. And the way he just like he just tortures this guy by pulling out the metal fighting from his tooth. And you know, like, oh, he could have inflicted so much more pain. On him, if he really wanted to. And I also love, love yeah. cinematography in the scene, too, and how it's like how we get the shot of the gold bar that's on the desk between them and how it displays the reflections from each side as we're talking. Just a nice little moment there. Yeah. And then we head over to Las Vegas, where CIA operative Moira McTaggart, played by Roseburn, is doing some spying and following the US Army Colonel Henry into the Hellfire Club and it's a secret society that is based off of the Hellfire Club in the comics, like a secret society that wants to take over the world in Marvel Comics. And Moira sneaks into the club, does doesn't spy and is hanging off her clothes to sneak in and over and underwear, and this is one of the bits of the sexual objectification that I was pointing out. And even, like, even when, her, when her fellow agents that she's with asks like, "What are you doing?" And she's like, easing some equipment the CIA didn't give me," and I just kind of cringe at that, at that dialogue.
1: Well, I mean, I, I don't think I think I think if you if you are, I mean, I don't know if they, she classes herself as a spy, but I think if that's the way, if that's the way as a woman, you can you can because really she's not objectifying, she's objectifying right herself, but her so right to but to two she's she's using how she was going she's going to be objectified when she walks into her advantage in terms of well i've got a job to do i can get in there like this so i didn't i understand it it did i've seen films before where they've just like crammed a scene in there or they've crammed it in nudity in there and you're like what have you done that for yeah like what's that there for just because you, you were getting an 18
0: anyway. I would say it's not like it's not like a Michael Bay. It's not that, that like God's level, like how Michael Bay like uses the camera for Megan Fox and to transform his movies. It's not like that. Not that bad. You know, I would say. But still, like it got me rolling my eyes, personally. Maybe not for you, but for me.
1: Well it makes sense. I didn't have an issue with it, because it makes it personally it makes sense in, in the film that it gets her into where she needs to be. Like she can't try walking there in a cocktail dress. Because it's not going to work, but yeah, I mean, it's it's, and I think because the film does lean heavily into the fact it's set in the sixties, because it's set in the sixties for, yeah, for the most yeah, part it... of it, and I like the fact that that they don't shy away from, like oh, that's why we shouldn't have a woman in the CIA, and it's not there to be like to be funny. It's it's probably the the reaction you would have come across, but but then you get you know you, it's it like gets turned on them because you know you see the strength of of of. The females in the film, particularly so. Well, and the men as well. So I think it's. I don't mind it when it makes sense. I don't think it was. I don't think it was meaningless. But but yeah, that's just my. That's just didn't cross my mind. To be fair, but like. Anything. Okay, interesting.
0: Interesting. Agree to disagree. You know. Okay, but I, I can see a perspective. Well, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm am just, just giving my opinion. <laughs> hey, you know what? We have definitely given some casting opinion already. We
1: we know that. Yeah, we know that from Reminiscence, day God. <gasps> <gasps> oh. So while Moira is sneaking
0: in, this is when we're now getting introduced to a few other mutants. So basically, we've got Emma Frost, played by January Jones, and she is the diamond-bodied telepath. We have Riptide, played by Alex Gonzalez, who can make cyclones. And then we have Azazel, played by Jason Fleming, who's got the power of teleportation. So basically, he's like a a red nightcrawler. And it's actually the father of that father in the, in the comics.
1: Well, isn't one of the guys the younger brother of Cy- uh, Cyclops in the comics? Isn't that what? What's his name? Uh, oh, well, one of the meetings we made later on
0: is this. Oh, have it. Have it. Oh, have yes, it, sorry, right? have it. Yeah, sorry. I jumped in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alex, yeah, yeah. Alex yeah. Summer, yeah. And then we have Sebastian Shaw. Again, he speaks Klaus Schmidt, now he's Shaw. And while spies on them as they're putting the pressure on Henry to help them out. And as I always teleport them to the joint war Room where Henry supports deploying nukes in Turkey and one of the members have jokes about him wanting to start World War Street
1: Yeah, that, that that's the only bit where I'm a bit like, what, you've like taken over one US general and one you like one Soviet general? And they're the person who swings it? Like no one else is like, excuse me, comrade, I do not agree. Or sorry Russia or oh, on the other hand you've got <gasps> oh you've got flipping you know that you've got Glenn Marshall there it was like actually I I'd like to reconsider and I think we should put missiles in Turkey again sorry America so yeah I mean yeah I, that was the only bit I was like really like yeah. like if it was the president or like you know the Soviet premier um like you know Khrushchev or whatever that would have made sense. I don't, I don't, fair enough but I suppose you yeah, I mean they're not going to do that because obviously it's Kennedy at this point, so that'd be a bit mm, maybe not. So I get why it's not that, but it's like really, I let let it go. It's a good film, you know. Sometimes you just got to let these things yeah. go, even if you even me. <laughs> uh, that's a little or
0: I mean, even when some White also calls up, he calls his joint war room and is trying to warn them about Henry, but she gets brushed off, and she's yeah, like, and yeah. and, and, and in that moment I'm like, wait, so no one, no one is suspicious of Henry, like. Does anyone want to ask, hey, Henry, where were you 10 minutes ago before you just suddenly showed up here? Before he was t- teleported know, from Las Vegas to the joint war room by the angels?
1: I mean, because, you know, it, it strikes you as the kind of room, because it does look like the war room from uh, Doctor Strangelove or, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and, and Learn to Love the Bomb, yeah. uh, the Kubrick film. So... It's like, what, what, what? I'm sure they had, like, sign-in. Or oh, for anybody of modern audience who's not seen that film, think of, like, Terminator 3, the ending of that, that bunker. That's a bit better. Anyway, but, you know, they have that war room, and it's like, this has got to have, like, there's going to be lots of sign-ins to get into this room. Like, this isn't the room you just waltz into. It's like, okay. So he's just like, what are you talking about? The journal's here. And he's just sat there like, you're like, what? Like, What? Like surely, like he was there with his driver. Like he's a, he's a no, U.S. general no. at the height of the Cold War. Like they're not just gonna let them walk around. They watched their own. The Americans with the red under the bed. They were as paranoid about each other as they were about the Soviets. So it, it's like, what? This this doesn't ring true. But you know, it's one of them things. They need to look at the security footage.
0: Where is the security camera footage? Huh?
1: Yeah. Well, well, the brother wouldn't have it going in a room like this. would they? would not want the. Uh, want the record. I don't think. <laughs>
0: So now Moira is going to find an expert on genetic mutation, as you said before. And that's, from, you know, Charles has, has now received his doctorate from Oxford as professor of genetics.
1: <gasps>
0: and then we go to Argentina, and this is where the iconic boss scene happens. Iconic to me, I, lo- I love this whole scene when Eric heads in and kills a few Nazis. And it's just like, I feel like this scene, like, if I were to make a list of scenes from movies, that imprint upon you how how frightening a villain can be just like how much power they possess I feel like this scene would make it onto that list it just really makes clear like oh again like I said before, Eric can kill people he is, and he can do it so fast and there's also something cathartic too about watching him kill Nazis you know I appreciate that especially like you know I recently watched *Inglorious Bastards*, and that was a quite Stronging to watch, yeah, just killing some nasties, and it's good to watch that here, too. Very cathartic.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, I mean, is very, um, he, he can be very cold when he wants to be, and it's its an instant scene. You know, you, he turns up, he's like trying the because it's in German, of course, uh, where Fassbender can speak it as well because he was born there. So, I think, um, it's a good scene. He, he turns up, um, he, he compliments the beer because it's German course it is and you know he, he meets the two he meets the two ex-nazis there who were like i'm a pig farmer i'm this that and the other and he's like oh well my pet you know my parents had their name taken and he turns his he turns his arm over and of course he's got the people, tattoo the identity uh the, the, yeah, the yeah the yeah the tattoo that he was obviously uh that was pinpricked into my auschwitz so he's very much like oh my parents didn't have a name that was taken from them so yeah it's quite a cold scene and then of course you get the addition of his um of his powers as well, where he, he, he takes the gun off the guy and, well, kind of makes the guy shoot the other... the bar guy shoot the other guy. It's very Bill Bones. Uh, and then... I really
0: appreciate the action. He's just, like, doing a few thing, like, like getting to knife, getting to gun. It's just, it's just very simple. Nothing too flashy. But but I really appreciate that. I think, I think Matthew Vaughn did a really great job with, like, portraying the action in this scene in particular.
1: Yeah, because yeah, he's, he's on a mission here. At this point, he, he's got no other motives than to find than to track down um, you know Schmidt he's got no he's not there to show off he's not there to make a point he's essentially there to just get the information he wants although I don't quite understand why he doesn't because I thought the guy who's handed impaled the uh, you know the the, the Nazi knife the blood and honour why he didn't ask him like where is he he just kills them all and I'm like okay I don't quite get why you haven't asked him where he is but okay because there's like a the, the this picture of the two guys that he kills uh above the bar with um with schmidt so it's like okay well where, what's yeah. that? okay fair enough but yeah yeah you'd be surprised when you read the history of how many nazis actually escaped to argentina and south america um you know there's not i mean adolf eichmann gets captured and taken back to israel for, for trial but outside of that mengele dies there and quite a few other top nazi officials disappear out that way and I know it's just
0: not, like not even having to escape like under the radar necessarily there's even like you know operation paperclip you know and it's, it's like hey you know the USA let's bring over some Nazi scientists to help us out
1: <gasps> legally well yeah it's mm, the Nazi not, not officials paperclip I think <sighs> that whole it's a problem with post-war Germany what what do you do the cold war is rapidly approaching. I think America realizes. I think, well, to be fair to Churchill, I think Britain he realizes quickly, quicker than the Americans that this is, you know, this isn't going to go down this way. We're not going to, we're not going to all, you know, be all happy in the future. So I think we we know that the cold war is coming. Um, this iron curtain is just I think, you know, Churchill quotes it as we know that's coming down. So I think you know you've got all that all that misery going on, and then of course you know that many people are implicated in in, in 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 suspect crimes that you're like, right, well I mean we could punish everybody, but like, who's gonna help run the country? like what do you it's a very and as for operate operation paper click, yeah. Well I've got my own opinions on it, but I think I I can see why it was done. I don't agree with it, but I can see why it was done, but I don't know. It always reminds me of that term not to trivialise it it just reminds you, know, like, good, like, Quantum of Solace, There's a quote in that where Felix Leiter says something on the lines of, you know, if we stop, if we started dealing with only good guys, we'd have nobody to deal with. Um, I think it's one of those type of situations, which, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a, yeah, it's too in depth to go to in a first class review, but that way
0: <laughs> Oh, that is a hate song.
1: And one moment I really loved in
0: particular was when. Eric was like, Eric is like, he takes he takes a knife from the, from the from the pig farmer guy, and he you know and on the knife you know he's got the blood and honor written on it in German, and he says blood and honor, the blue,
1: blue line error I think it is, I think I think that's correct.
0: Yeah, that's correct. And he says blood and honor, which would you care to shed first? And the pig farmer is like, we were under orders, and I, Eric says blood then, and that's when he stabs it into the pig farmer's hand. I was like oh that it goes hard, yeah. And and then and then also when and then when he, by the time so Eric kills off the other two guys and the pig farmer left and the pig farmer like, who are, what are you? And then Eric goes, let's just say I'm Frankenstein's monster, and I'm looking for my creator. And then he shoots him dead. Yep, yeah, that's
1: that that's that done with. Oh, but yeah, but that 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 orders concept which of course was a, a famous excuse for, for Nazis and then other, other minor players in, in, you know, genocidal resumes later on as well, or was while well, I was just following orders. But that comes back, that comes back later on when, you know, he get, you hear that again. I'm just, I'm just following orders. And he's like, hi, I was once at the mercy of people who, who only followed orders. So again, it's that, it's that difference between the viewpoints of Charles and the viewpoints of Eric. It, it's, it's, was it always was it always going to go down that way with their difference it was irreconcilable I, I don't think so i think they could have worked together and they did work together but i think yeah i think at the end of the day it, it was a tough one yeah. um but i mean they did to be fair they do they do work together later on yes no, they do they do so. but i
0: feel like there's a lot of moral heaviness in that scene of like the, oh when people would say like oh i was just following orders and it's like Okay, even if you truly were just following orders, even if those orders went against your personal moral compass, it's very hard to hear that excuse, especially if you're the one who suffered because of your actions.
1: Yeah, I mean, with the Nazis in particular, the, the whole thing around the orders thing, the German officers soldiers took an oath. It was usually an oath to the Fadland, but obviously Hitler changed it to an oath personally to him. So then for them, any any orders that came down from Hitler, even though he gave very little, especially on paper because he didn't want to be implicated that whole system they were essentially anything they got ordered to do that it was like an oath it it, but the excuse that if we didn't do it we would get killed ourselves it doesn't stand up it doesn't hold water especially if you look if you read about it um i think it's it it can be simplified too much that idea but it it works in a film like this because i think it's Charles puts a lot of faith in like all oh, the hu- like the society of the 60s and even later on when you know when he's played by Patrick Stewart the faith in all oh, the humans you know there's that scene where they're outside the parliament and they're talking and the is it X-Men 2 or whatever um and they're very much like you know it's the humans don't you know we'll be okay and, and Eric's like I've seen this before yeah. like I've been singled out before because you know he was singled out when he was younger for being yeah. Jewish classed as different by you know the, the people in power so I think then he's he's he thinks, right? Well, it's going to happen to me again, but this time it's not going to be Jewishness; it's going to be the fact that I'm a mutant. And he he thinks they should band together against the humans, whereas Charles believes they should work together with the humans. So there's a lot going on. Uh, it's it's good definitely, stuff.
0: Definitely. And the score. I also really love the score It plays over the bar scene too. The piece for that is Frankenstein's monster. That's the track that plays over the scene, and it's like it's a variation basically uh, on Magneto's theme. Which I I love. Right, right. And then, okay, so this is a good editing moment. We cut from one bar to another bar that Charles is in, where he's celebrating, earning his doctorate, and drinking out of this long, long glass, drinking the beer, just glugging it down. And that editing choice is just so clever, and it also makes you really just kind of feel distasteful towards Charles' life. When it's like, look at Eric, look at what he has endured, all the pain he's endured, the grief, and he's a nasty hunter, meanwhile Charles is just living this frivolous lifestyle. It's just such a contrast between the two of them, and you're like, hmm, Charles, you know, I really... Yeah, I don't know, I don't like what you're doing here, being too frivolous.
1: I mean, I don't think it's meant to be distasteful, I mean, I, th- I think.
0: Yeah, maybe that's the movie, but uh, that's, yeah. that's, like, that's my personal take on it, I don't know if the movie is worth, yeah. oh, no, yeah, that's my yeah, personal yeah. take
1: Oh, no, yeah, no, I just, I, I think it's, I think for me, I think to try and compare two things like that together, it's like, I, like Charles doesn't know that, that's what, that's what he's, he, he hasn't met Eric at this point, so I think it's, but yeah, as a kind of, it does certainly highlight the differences, because as I've said a few times, it highlights the differences between like the two of them and what they've been through. Yeah, Charles has had oh,
0: more of a privileged lifestyle.
1: He has, but because he's privileged and because he hasn't been through that, it doesn't automatically mean that he he's not entitled he's not entitled to you know I mean he's, he clearly worked bloody hard he hasn't been given his doctorate he clearly didn't have the happiest upbringing um it doesn't matter you can be a, yeah. you could be surrounded but you could be in <clears throat> you could be in the smallest one bedroom house with a, a mom a dad who loves you a bits, or you could be in a mansion and you barely ever see them so I think sometimes yeah well it's a film so I'm, I'm but I think sometimes it's to simplify it too much to be like well that's yeah, it, it they don't know. It's not like he knows that that's what Chad, uh, Eric's going through. So it's, it's like, yeah. But I, context, I
0: know I know what you mean. Like, yeah, I like the context details like that. Yes, yes. Also, do you know what that long glass was? Did you recognize it? Because I kept, I was trying to Google this, and I was like, "What? What type of glass is that?" <laughs> that are you thinking <speaking> out of?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's called the Yardville. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. okay. The yard Yardville. Of... Yeah, guy yeah, had one. It's a really difficult to drink out Okay, of. because once you get past the halfway point. It all like glugs towards you really quick, <laughs> so yeah. I've tried. I used to. I, oh. I think I got them like my 18th birthday party or something. I think it's really difficult to drink out of. You just end up just covering your face in lager pretty much. Yeah, but a yard of ale—that's what it's called. Yeah, it didn't didn't cross my mind that you wouldn't know what that was. <laughs> Not, I mean you know. I mean it did, I was trying to didn't have them at
0: my. Yeah, uh, I was trying to Google it. And like, like, could I find it for that reason? But okay, at least I know the name
1: of it. Yeah, it's called. Well, to be fair, I wouldn't. Yeah, it's a yard of ale, but it it holds two and a half pints of uh, imperial pints of beer. To be fair. But uh, it's a yard long as well. So, like, you know, you step a yard. Okay.
0: <sighs> and then Charlotte runs into Moira. And then he launches into his whole mutation, flirtation routine again. The co-ed, about Wallace, is right behind Moira. But then she kind of, like, goes away after seeing Charlotte flirt with, with Moira and talk about the groovy re- mutations. So, Auburn hair, I think he was talking about. The MCR1
1: gene.
0: <gasps> it took us from single-celled organisms to the dominant form. But why Moira cut them off, and it's like, okay, you know, I get it, you're trying to shine try people, but let's get down to business here. And she's looking for a mutant to exist today, and, and then Shaw reads her mind and sees Shaw and his minions through her. So Now he's on board with her. Okay, by, by the way, okay, so have have you seen Looper? I'm curious. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 okay.
0: yeah, yeah, good film. Okay, because... Charles when he's doing his flirtation stuff with, with mutations here, it reminded me of that movie because of like the whole thing was like, oh, people telekinesis. So then there are men who will go up to women and be like, hey, isn't this fancy? And they'll lift coins up in the air and flick them around. And it's just like I don't know, it just reminded me of that. Like that kind of like, oh, that's that flirtation would get so old after a while.
1: <gasps> Huh. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I think you'd, you'd use it at the beginning, maybe, and then that—that probably do. It's a foot in the door, if anything, I suppose. Not in a not in a, not in a weird way. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things. It's like Ch- Charles is not like you know sporty or what well, would you, America? How, how do you guys put it? He's not like a jock or, or anything like that. He's so he's using what he's got, which is his yeah, mind. He got his mind, and I get the impression that he can kind of. Sc- he can kind of scrape off a little. I, I get the impression he's not mind reading with them. He's not like looking deep in depth in them. He's just like gleaning off the surface in terms of like, oh, her favorite drink's a gin or whatever he does at the beginning with that. Coed. I don't know what a quid is to me fair, But is that? A I don't know what. I don't know what that means. What's a quid mean again? What can kind of a drink? What can kind I of drink? No, you said a quid. What's a quid again? I don't know what that is. Oh, that's like a college student, right? All oh, right, right. Okay. Yeah. So like another one, right? Okay, another one. The students, right? Okay. I knew it meant something like that. But yeah, I've been a students
0: at a co-educational institution.
1: Yeah, uh, what the hell that means? Confusing word, but yeah, I, I, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I think um, you do what you can, I suppose. And he's, as you said, he's not hitting you on the eyes either. So yeah, he's doing
0: what he can. He's got, it, he's got his, you know, his brain. He's using his brain, his times.
1: And I, I think they use it as well as as like a plot device to show that. Because it's worthwhile during those scenes when he's flirting with the women to look at Jennifer Lawrence, uh, to look at Raven, because she she clearly wants Charles to take more of an interest. Well, I mean, I, would, I think, from what they're showing, she wants Charles to take more of an interest in her that way. But he, it's just not happening. Which, to be fair, I appreciate, because usually it's the other way around in films. Usually it's a man interested in a woman, and the woman's like, yeah, this isn't happening. You're friend-zoned. But he's very, you know, to use modern terms. But in this film, it, Charles is very much uh, friend-zoned yeah. her. So for whatever his reasons, we don't know.
0: And then we cut to Shaw and company meeting Henry on this nice trip in Miami. And Henry comes on board with a grenade in hand. He's striking to pull the pin if he doesn't get his money. But Shaw just takes the grenade, pulls the pin, absorbs the explosion. Because... Now we know he's a mutant, and he has the power to absorb energy, which keeps him young. And he uses grenade energy to kill off Henry. And this is a nice superpower. I like it. Like, absorbing energy, but also being able to reuse it for other purposes. Like, it's a, it's, it's a very interesting power, the way that this movie uses his abilities. I like it. Yeah. I feel like it's a sort of power where it doesn't sound very fancy at first. Like, oh, absor- absorbing energy. Like, what can you do with that? But then you actually see it in person, and you're like, oh, so like if he, like he can absorb the blasts, of bullets, you know, or, or, or bombs, he can, and then he can project the energy outwards. It's very yeah. interesting. And then we go to Langley, where Charles, Raven, and Moira are meeting with the CIA. But even after Charles and Raven reveal their mutant abilities, it really doesn't do much to get the CIA on their side. So then they manage to get to this off-site facility. With a, a character who's just known in the cast as Man in Black Suit, played by Oliver Platt, who apparently has always believed in the existence of mutants. And I'm just like, really? You couldn't
1: have given Man in Black Suit an official name? Just like even like... I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind as much. I like Oliver Platt, to be fair. Oh, I like him too. Three Musketeers, Bicentennial Man. He's been in I do enjoy him. Yeah, I, I like him. I think it's fair enough. Yeah,
0: I like, I like the actor Oliver, too. He, and I feel like when I... He gets splattered later on. I know. <laughs> I, I feel like I was... I remember when I saw this movie for the first time, and when he gets killed off later on, I was like, oh no, Oliver Platt. I wanted you to stick around longer. <gasps> I just like him as an actor, so, you know. I feel like
1: 2012. Whenever I think of him, 2012. Oh, 2012 as well. Yeah, I knew I was missing something else. Yeah. What did you think? We were just going to get on board, hold hands and sing Kumbaya? (laughs) I love that (laughs) film. Honestly, like, when people, like, put the boot into it, I'm like, it knows what it is. Just have fun with it. Have fun with it. I've got to start that. And he's really, he's devious in that film as well. Matter of people, he gets killed. Oh. (laughs) It's like, when, like, Cheatable Edufarge just, like, uh he's just like uh, that he's like uh, he was an enemy of humanity he's like he's like uh, the creator of the loo was an enemy of humanity when he called a press conference he was oh, i love uh, yeah he's great anyway I don't want to side trackers, but i love that um,
0: yeah <laughs> yeah all of the press, you know the first thing i think of when i think of him is 2012 i have that last nostalgia for that movie so i'm glad to hear you guys love it too
1: oh massively yeah
0: <laughs> so yeah okay so we meet him we go to the off-site facility. This is also when we learn Charles is capable of not just reading minds, but also communicating with them and controlling them. He can freeze people if he really wants to, and it's it's, it's, a, it's a little a little comedic moment when he pulls that control that mind control ability on 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 a to convince them to go along with him. Yeah, it's very funny. It's very, also like very subtle. It's, it's, it's like a very like oh like humans pass by quickly. It's not like in your face. Not like. Some of the other brands of humor, you yeah. know, like the MCU, yeah, MCU it, very quippy humor, um, you know, it's like,
1: it's subtle, yeah, subtle. T- yeah. Yeah, no, it is, and it, it comes out of the situation, that I think, it's not what we now think of as like, modern Marvel humor, it's just, well, is it really humor? You be the judge. I don't think <gasps> <Yeah>. it is. <laughs> and then Eric tries to attack Saw, he gets onto his boat, trying to kill him.
0: Then we have this whole action scene where Shaw and Company escape to a boat with a submarine that Eric tries to trap. But then Charles and then the other like, you know, CIA people, they come in and Charles has to go to Eric and be like, stop Eric or also drown and so he has to stop there. Like Eric was gonna die, like he was gonna drown very very soon if he didn't stop. Yeah. But okay, but here's the thing. Did you catch on to this? Was like, wait, how did Charles and Company get here so quickly? Did, I, did you catch on of that? Or, was like, I don't know. I felt like they got there too quickly. So I was in whatever CIA people. I felt like we, like we skipped a yeah. scene, maybe. I don't
1: know. It's the CIA, isn't it, I suppose? It probably chopped them in or something. I don't know. Didn't cross my mind, to be fair. Okay. And it usually do Stuff like that usually does. It'll probably... Thanks, Arthur. Next time I watch the film, it'll probably bug me. It'll be like, what? That makes sense. Occasionally, I can look past the little details. Not very often. Depends if the film's good. The film's good. I'll, 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 you know, I'll let it off certain things like that.
0: So now we've got Charles, Eric, and company, you know, Raven, Mora, and all the all heading to their COBRA CIA base to form, essentially, the mutant division of the CIA. And now we meet Hank McCoy, played by Nicholas Holt, who is a genius scientist to the mutant himself. He's got his hands for feet, not in full blue mode yet. That'll come later. And, by the way, his full makeup took four hours to apply. It was a fake teeth, furry muscle suits, mask, contact lenses, full makeup, four hours off.
1: <laughs> yeah, his face, when he becomes Beast, his face, it doesn't look right. I don't know what they yeah. did. They I... did. I think they enhanced it with CGI. Something's not right. It doesn't look right. And it's not just... Like, you look at yeah. you look at um, Mystique, and she looks fine. Yeah. There's, there's no issues. But then you look at Hank, and his eyes... His, I don't know whether they put his eyes further apart or something, but it just it's so jarring. It's a bit like Diamond Lady. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Interesting idea, but it hurts your eyes, and in about 10, 15, 20, 20 years, it's going to look awful,
0: because... I mean, Kelsey Grammar, I, I, yeah. I think Kelsey Grammer's version of Beast, I think they did that better, and I don't think the Beast version they have here, because Hulk is terrible, but still driving. And also, kind of confusing. How it's like, oh, later on, it's like, oh, they just do away with that, and they're like, oh, we can have Nicholas Hall to the pure as his human form and it's just like, I don't know, unsatisfying in that fashion. Oh well.
1: Yeah. See, I I don't think they need to have the full. I get to be beast, but I think I am much I much preferred kind of like. There's a scene before he takes that, you know, the cure all for the physical kind of look. Because with Mystique, uh, you know, she thinks she wants it. But then, like, I, I like the fact that kind of he he feels like, you know, because of his feet, he's had to, you know, he's had to be very, very careful and stuff like that. But she's obviously, she has to keep herself in, in a different form a lot of the time. So I preferred that. I think when he became full beast, it was a bit like, yeah, you didn't need to have him. I'd have preferred him to be a different character, like to have him as this, him as this genius. Mm-hmm. I like Nicholas Holt. He's a good actor. I think he's he's underused in this, to be fair. I think because there's a few times where he, he, he seems to... Fl- I mean, maybe maybe it's just because there's a few people in it. I mean, he gets more screen time than some of the others, to be fair to him. But I think it's... But only gripe. I think he's underused. I don't think... If to, he seems to jump from... I feel like this. No, I feel like this. No, I feel like this. Interesting. But I think... I, I think there's a few too many mutants in there. I think... The butterfly one. I, I don't know why she's there. I do, I don't know who the actress is.
0: Uh, oh, Telly uh, Travis as Angel.
1: Oh, I'm not. I'm still not sold on her. Well, I saw her in the Batman. Didn't think a lot of her in that. I've seen her in this. Didn't dig, sorry, Sean and Clayton from Men Who Like Men who Like Movies. If you're listening, because I know you'll be like, what? Um, yeah, I'm still not sold on her. Just she's just nothing about her in this. I don't think she's given a lot to work with. Granted, but I, I'm not a big. I just didn't see the point in in her character. I liked oh, yeah. uh, the guy with the energy. I thought he was pretty good. I also like the, uh, the the guy who can, like, adapt to, to survive. Oh, yeah,
0: Darwin, played by Eddie Kasiki.
1: Darwin, yeah, I liked him. I didn't... Uh, I get that he needed to kill somebody to, like, have, like, a bit of impact going into the last bit. But it was like, why have you killed the one who's meant to be indestructible? Really? Oh, like, what? trust me. I have all the ones to die. I like, have
0: my thoughts on that. I'll save that for later, but I have my thoughts. But to get back to Nicholas Holt specifically, I. Interesting, okay, I feel like he has a good amount of material to work with here. I like what he's doing here. I think it's a later movie, personally, but I think he is un- underutilized under- greatly in terms of what he has to work with.
1: Mm.
0: And then we go back to Sean and Company, So heading to Russia, and Sean reveals to Emma Frost that he had the Russians craft a telepath proof helmet for him. Of course, the helmet will end up becoming like, you know, Magneto's helmet. Then he also tells her to fetch some ice for his drink. So she gets it straight from the ice that's cracked above the submarine. Which is like, I thought, I thought that was a fun little moment.
1: Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that submarine, you know. Like, it's clearly meant to be based on a U-boat, but it's too big to be a U-boat. And then they've whitewashed the insides white. I don't get it. And then you walk through one of the doors, and it's like, it's like... <laughs> It looks like someone from Austin Powers Seven Four Seven, you know, in, like in National it. Man of Mystery. And I'm like, what the hell is I this? I like that's
0: Fifth though. Like, like he got, he had the ship. Now he's got the sub. I feel like he is almost kind of like that hip kind of type who would pop up in an Austin Powers movie.
1: Honestly, oh, I just, I mean, I know I know it is a superhero film, and it's 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 strange. I admit to use the word grounded in a film about mutants, but in the world that they've built. That's the only, like, uh, my only other gripe is that I don't like the way the sub looks. I think it's over the top. I think it doesn't fit the style of the rest of the film. They've kept this quite grounded film. Yeah, okay, Charles's dad built a nuclear bunker, but it's still in the world they've built. It makes sense. Then when they have this really futuristic type sub, that feels a lot like it belongs in the Avengers Marvels. Mm. It feels too modern for the 60s. It doesn't look right. Oh, just my opinion, okay. you know? but I I didn't I didn't like the sub design. It, it annoyed me, and every time I saw it, I was like, "Why have you made it white?" <laughs> and like you walk through, the, you walk through like a little a little bit, like a little part, like you know, like a door, and then a hatch, and then and then there's like this grooving. I was half expecting the circular bed to spin, and you know, and thing would be like, "Do I make you, Randy?" You know, I was it's just <laughs> it just you know it just it really took me out of it for a minute. I was thinking, what? Okay. But you know, in a film like this, where we've had you know some quite, there's some quite dark, and you know, there's a lot of kind of grey characterization. It, it feels out of place. But maybe I'm just overreacting to a to a white interior submarine. I probably am. But you know, we've all got our things, and we all got our gripes.
0: I get you. I get you. I disagree with you, but I also get you. Uh, and then we cut back to Hank and Raven, who have been hitting it off. And they're talking about a shared desire to feel normal, you know, quote unquote normal. And he's working on a serum to normalize his appearance, make it, you know, maybe 40. or a traditional human with a feat. And she asks for Raven's Blood to complete it. And she almost kisses him, but then Eric comes in and says, Kinky. <gasps> kind of a funny moment.
1: Yeah, I think Charles takes his, his eye off the ball with regards to Raven in this film. Like he's clearly grown up with her, and then in this film it just seems like he annoys her, or he's just like, "I expected more from you." Or what? and you're like, "Hang on, but give, I like, give her a chat, like, like, like give her a chance." Like there's n- there's no scene in there where he like empathizes with her. He just brushes her off all the time, and it's like, yeah, "This yeah. isn't gonna go. This isn't gonna go the way you want it, Charles." Like, yeah. I think because he's very very clever. I think he and yeah, he can read minds, but he's promised not to read hers. I think when you think about it, he's, he's, his whole life, he reads people's minds and he uses it to his advantage, whether it's a cheeky little scientific flirt or whether it's to try and help him with, child, uh, with with Eric or whatever. But then on the other hand, you know he's used that all his life, so then he's promised with her not to read her mind. And I think because he's never had to work out people, how people are feeling from their outward appearance, because apparently there's only her he doesn't mind read with, he doesn't know how to read, he doesn't know how to figure out how she's feeling because he's just looking at the exterior because he's promised he wouldn't read him out until the end. Where I promised you a great many things, my dear, where he's like, yeah, you know, he knows he's screwed up. But that, that I didn't like that. I know she goes and works with Magneto, but I wasn't completely sold on the fact that she just goes with him. And I'm like, I know that's going to happen. But again, it's like, if you spent a little less time on some of the other characters and a bit more on their relationship, again, I'm not trying to nitpick on it because it's a good film, but I think there's too many characters in there. I mean, we're not talking like Spider-Man 3 territory. Definitely. But, yeah, yeah, I think uh, my guess would be they planned to do sequels to this that kept it as a reboot. But because, obviously, the next film, The Days of Future Past, they make it a prequel to X-Men rather than... Yeah. yeah anyway, rather than, yeah. like, a reboot. So it, it, that kind of muddies the waters a bit. Yeah. So maybe they were going to expand on all this. and They probably would have done, I think, because there's certainly, you know, different things you want them to say. But anyway, yeah. go. Yeah.
0: And Eric also says to Raven, if I looked like you, I wouldn't change a thing. One of the moments in this movie where it shows that Eric and Raven are vibing more on the same wavelength in regards to how they view their own mutant self. And Eric is encouraging Raven Raven to embrace herself, not be ashamed of who she is as a mutant.
1: Yeah, I think for me, it's because he's open about that, but then he's the same as Charles, really. He doesn't have to show who he is. But I do get like Charles clearly does love her in in like family, if nothing else. And I think he probably he doesn't realise that like she needs she needs that like he he needs to say it. But you know you get the impression Charles is not as in in touch with his his emotions as Eric is. To be fair, so he probably knows she needs to feel that he understands what she's gone through a, a bit more, but having to hide rather than. You know Charles is very very logical about it, and you can be as logical as you want, but sometimes emotions aren't particularly logical. Yeah. So I think, and again he doesn't he just doesn't listen to it. Doesn't give it. He's he's a bit, you know, he's too busy. He he's too busy getting to know Eric and uh, training the others. I think he drops the ball there uh, massively, with it, to be honest. And then Eric is
0: almost about to leave. Like he grabs Shaw's file and is about to leave, but then Charles talks to him and offers to help him with his pain, help him out, and Eric decides to stay. And which I appreciate that. Charles, like, you know, trying to reach out to him, really trying to befriend him there.
1: Yeah. He's never gonna leave though, was he, let's be honest.
0: <laughs> and then we introduce Cerebro, which of course is the classic Cerebro, and it's a transmitter of Hank's design that can be used to amplify brain waves and locate mutants. And after some debate it's decided that only mutants can use it. Nobody from the CIA. And there's a moment where Hank is like, Hey Charles, can we you shave your head? But Sean was like, don't touch my hair. And, of yeah. course, that's a He's... precursor, you know. Or, or, like, you know, Easter egg, you know, he'll
1: have a, a bald head later on. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently, he shaved his head, didn't he? James McAvoy actually shaved his head for this film before the producers were like, no, no, we want you to have hair. Oh! So then he a- so he actually wears hair extensions in this film because his hair was still growing Oh! Back, which Alex is brilliant. So, yeah, he shaved his head because he thought... He got the part, he shaved his head, and then the producers were like, no, 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 we want you to have hair. Oh, no. So he loses his hair. So then he had to wear hair extensions because his hair was still growing back in because his hair's quite long. You know, you have got a fair few months there. So, okay. yeah, that's a good bit of trivia. I know,
0: yeah, good, in it? Oh, damn. I always be like, oh, no, but I shaved my head. What a waste. <laughs> also, I I love the fact about his hair, by the way. It's very, ethical, like, very luscious hair. I like it. But I did not count on. It's because it's not his.
1: That no, it is it's probably some poor woman somewhere. I didn't.
0: Well, I didn't notice. I didn't ever hold on to any hair extensions. Okay, that's very interesting. Yep. Wow. I guess. I guess the movie did a good job at hiding that from my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, even outside of the movie, though, like, even outside of this movie, I still love his hair. <gasps>
1: Maybe that's what X stands for. Maybe it's not Xavier. Man. Maybe it's extensions. Maybe that's what the X is for. You never know, do you? Because of oh, that bit where she's like, they're not G men. They're X-Men. I'm like, oh, no. Take that line out. That makes me want to be sick. Oh, yeah. That line is not good. That was cringy. That is not Tringy. good. I was like, oh, no. You didn't need to say that. You didn't need to say that. <gasps>
0: but no, the movie half to throw it, it always reminds me in of, your, face. Yeah. your face. It reminds
1: me of that scene from like like Family Guy where he's like, they said it. They said the title of the movie in the movie. And it's like, oh, God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <gasps> So then they test out Cerebro, and we see a young Storm and a young Cyclops among these mutants here, among the crowds, as are using Cerebro. Now Charles and Eric start tracking down other mutants, so now we get introduced to them, there's Angel, played by Zoe Kravitz, who works in a strip club, and again, I still feel like it's kind of like sexual objectification still, like, you know, like, no, no shade strippers, no I support sex work, it's just that in the specific context of this movie, I feel like it's doing this to, again, like, elicit the attention of the boys in the crowd. Ooh, a woman in a bra and underwear. And Angel has dragonfly wings that are tattooed on her body, and she can also spit acidic saliva.
1: Yeah, wasn't a fun <laughs> Wasn't a fun
0: <gasps> And then we have Darwin coming in, Armando Muniz, played by Idie Gasigi and then Alex Summers, or Havoc, played by Lucas Till, and he's, like, brought out of prison, and he also, this is where Corey Johnson has a tiny role in it as the warden, the prison warden, and whenever I see Corey Johnson, I always think of him from The Mummy. Not not the Tom Cruise one, like, there's a Ben and Fraser one.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, one of, yeah, One of yeah. the
0: guys yeah. gets killed off by Imhotep. Yeah.
1: <gasps> he's the guy who's, like, he's the guy, um, oh, he's in Doctor Who as well. Isn't he? Oh. he plays um Henry Van Stanton in Dalek? I'm oh, sure that's okay, name, that's, yeah. nice, that's nice. Oh, he's been in all sorts, yeah, yeah. He's the guy who gets pulled off the back of the Kaiser, oh, O'Connell. Like, they get, and he's the guy who stands there going, Pff, yep, Pff, yep, yep, till he runs out of bullets. <laughs> anyway, that's the, that's the guy. Yeah, no, yeah, it was, it was good, but a bit of trivia about the guy who plays Havoc. So he originally auditioned for Havoc and Beast. And when they told him, like, oh, by the way, you're, you're auditioning for Havoc and Beast, he was like, yeah, even, as much as I want to be in a superhero film, if you give me Beast, I'm not doing it because I do not want to spend that much time in makeup. Yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> so, I just thought I was like, yeah.
0: I heard about that. And I can understand that. Like, the makeup, ooh, it is a laborious procedure. And I, you know, hats off to all the actors who do
1: that. like get paid enough. I know, I know. I'd, I'd... I I just... do. I'd want that. You give give me that money. Stick as much yak hair on me as you... Blue yak hair on me as you want. Give me the millions these get. Good, do you, I mean, yeah, anyway.
0: And then we also have Sean Casty or Banshee, played by Caleb Blandy Jones, and he can emit ultrasonic blasts from his mouth.
1: <laughs> when they push him out the window. Oh. He's just like... Don't forget to scream. He's like, ah! Oh. Yeah, okay. And I've seen
0: Why didn't they at least put some metal on him? So it's like, hey, if you fall, Magneto can just pull you up, rather than just let you fall multiple stories to the ground. Like, it was like, what, three floors, three stories, the still. Uh, Someone like that. (laughs) And then Logan pops up, Wolverine, played by Hugh Jackman, and It doesn't annoy me for some reason. I don't know why. It's like I feel like this should annoy me, but it doesn't. I feel like it's natural for them. Like, hey, if Charles and Eric are gonna look for mutants, I feel like it'd be natural for them to track down Wolverine. But then they just go up to him at the bar, and he's like, "Go fuck yourselves." The one, the one. To be fair, the one I found
1: such soft. Like I remember, I got such a huge laugh because it was uncredited to no one knew he was going to be in it. Because I remember I went to see this in cinemas and when he was like, go fuck yourself. Everyone, like the laugh was huge because no one expected to see him. <gasps> and the fact they just look at each other and go, yeah, we're, we're done. Like This isn't going to yeah. happen. But that would have, I think if they hadn't have had that in there, you could have got away with it. But also like if they're tracking down the mutants, then somebody would have gone, oh, well that would have meant that they've seen Wolverine. So, I'd, And the fact he doesn't turn around to look at them either. yeah. So then they, he doesn't recognize Xavier when he meets him. And it's a very clever way of doing it. Because he doesn't recognize. obviously when he meets them in X-Men he doesn't reckon I know it's meant to be a reboot but it fits that he doesn't look at them he just tells them yeah. see you later
0: I, I really like it it's it's fitting for Logan to act like this like yeah of course he's has gonna tell them the fuck I don't right you know
1: only thing, though, right, sorry I interrupted Arthur, the only thing, so that you talk about things that annoy you, and I'm, I'm, the more I think about it, the more the logic of the film falls down. <laughs> but it's the fact that, what, they go and find these thousands of mutants, right, or millions or whatever it is, because there's loads, and I get, like, you're not going to go and see the kids, so the under-18s wouldn't rule out, for obvious reasons. But then the rest of them, you're, like, you're telling me, like, it's just this four that wanted to come and help? <laughs> like, Butterfly Girl, Havoc you know, the, the uh, you know, fa- fancy. The,
0: the Banshee, and then Darwin, you know, uh, uh,
1: you know the other taxi driver guy, yeah, you're telling me they're the only ones who wanted to help, like, all yeah. the others were like, no, yeah. no I'm, I'm fine, yeah. it, it's a bit like, really, really, I don't, I don't know, it, it felt, it feels a bit sloppy, to be honest, that's the thing, like, it's yeah. one of these films where, like, it's a good film, and you enjoy it, and it's, de- it's well made, and well directed, and the actors are good, and it's a good time. But then when you start thinking about it and you start like you know try figuring it out, it's like, oh, yeah, this doesn't really hold up very well, does it? Not in a watching it kind of a way, in a more of a... Like n- nitpicks. It's a little nitpicks. Brain type a little nit-
0: nitpicks, yeah. Uh,
1: nitpicks that <laughs> bring down the, the, the sense of it, but yeah. <gasps> yeah.
0: And, okay, yeah, so, so that scene, I yeah, you know just want to say that I loved it. And when I first saw it, when I saw it for the first time, I did get a good laugh out of it. I was like, okay, that's that was good. but really me so now we go from that to just a quick moment back at Shaw's submarine, which we learned is fueled by nuclear power, and Frost can sense Charles's amplified telepathy. So now Charles is like, "Okay, I'll handle these mutants." Then we got Charles and Eric talking a bit on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. We kind of like brought us the scene earlier when Charles is like hopeful that humans and mutants can partner up against their common enemy. But then Eric, as we said before, he's like, "This is how it starts." Identification, which leads to being rounded up, experimented on, eliminated, all of that crap. Which again, you know, still rings true for the real world. And then we go back to the CIA mutant base, where the mutants are whipping up code names for themselves. And Raven takes Mystique before Sean, before Banshee, and who was like, "Oh, but what if I, I wanted to take Mystique?" (gasps) And uh, showing off their powers. And Havoc, and then also this is like where we get to see Havoc's powers, projecting these these plasma, these red plasma discs, and like one of them slices right through a statue.
1: Well, he's essentially Cyclops, but it comes out of his body rather than his eyes. And it's like
0: a, a huge Cause, cause disc, for... not, 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 it's not a beam, it's like a huge disc.
1: Well, it becomes a beam later on, but it looks that similar later, to later, yes. Cyclops' powers that I was half expecting him to give him you know, the old Jody LaForge visor and be like, hey girl, this is for you. <laughs>
0: uh, yes, yes. At the uh, CIA, they know Shaw is meeting with the Moscow Defense chief, and now the mutants have the to go on their mission. And then while Shaw and Eric, they find the kids are horsing around, and Raven says Shaw should be Professor X, and Eric should be Magneto. Now I was like, oh, now we have their aliases whipped up now.
1: Yeah, that felt a bit unnecessary. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't need, like, I don't need you at all to, like, have a wild party and be like, oh, my God, Charles, let's call you Professor X, you know, because you're Professor Xavier, and we take off the aviar, and X. it's like, oh, God, it's like, you're imaginative, aren't you? And, like, Magneto, like, I felt like Magneto felt like something he would have named himself, like, yeah. the whole, like, oh, the Russians made this anti, hey, why did the Russians do that for you? Any particular reason? Do they not have their own telepaths? No? Alright, fine. All right. Makes no sense, but let's go with it. Yeah. I doubt that. I doubt that. But personally,
0: I was I was vibing with it.
1: Oh no, I like the film. Yeah. I can enjoy something and rip it a new yeah. one. It's it's a very it's a very unique thing. It's a very unique, it's a very British skill. You can enjoy something, but you can still rip the piss oh, out of it. Oh. You can still you can still that's say That don't make sense. That don't make sense.
0: That's handy. <gasps> Uh, and then we get to Charles, Eric, and company heading to the, re- the Russian military retreats. And Emma Frost is here, and she's here in Shaw's place. Eric doesn't want to abort the mission since she's Shaw's right hand minion. So Eric he breaks in again. I like seeing him getting into fighting mode here. He's not killing people. He's not like killing the people who, pass- who he passes by. But still, he's beating them up. He's like you know throwing them aside using his pherokinesis. I find it kind of cringy when Voss is inside the place seducing the Soviet official and tricking him with her telepathy into believing he's canoodling with her. When, like, when, like he's just canoodling with air. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like,
1: nice trick. It's funny, but also kind of cringy. Hey, she's just using her powers. She she needs to get what she wants.
0: I, I will admit, yeah, I'll admit. I will admit. And like I said before, I feel like Voss is actually that kind of, that kind of character, like, even in the comics. I think she has that kind of character who does like I said for use her sexuality like her her feminine wild what you could call on to her advantage it's more natural for her to do that so well
1: they've they've done, stu- they've done studies on it haven't they the, the way people they know whether it's on tv programs or stuff like that social experiments they, they've done it yeah if you're a man or a woman the way people react to you is different oh okay. yeah depending on the situation so and if you're a spy or espionage, you're going you're going to do that reminds me of um Oh, Vanessa Redgrave when she's in the Mission Impossible films, can't mm. remember what character she plays an assassin, and like, she's great in that. Yeah. You know, it, it it's like people, you know, femme fatales. It's a whole genre, isn't oh, it? Yeah. So a whole trope, yes, <gasps> a whole stereotype. And well, it comes from real ex- it comes from real examples as well. Oh yeah,
0: definitely. So and Eric when he comes in, he almost strangles Foster Dash. And, like, she's in diamond mode. So, like, we see these cracks in her diamond's neck. But he stops. Again, the CGI, not great, you know, as we said before. But the diamond one.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, like, it's so obviously CGI. Like, and it's not that good either. Yeah. And it's Ooh. like, this is not going to hit And it hurts your eyes. Because you can't see her expressions properly.
0: Yeah, that okay, that like, I preferred a, yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I preferred it more when she... You know when she's behind the the glass and the talk talking and they're like, well, what does she want or what something like that? And she she like uses her finger to she diamonds the strongest substance in the world, so she uses it to like op- to, cut the opening you know, out the, of the glass. You know, that, cut open. Yeah, I thought that, that was good, cut. but they need to do more of that because I wanted to see more of her expression. And I also thought that we're gonna have something happen with Magneto and her because I got the impression he got the he got the helmet, so she couldn't read his mind. And I thought he was gonna kill her or do the dirty on her or something like that. Uh, betrayer or something so but that guy doesn't really come to anything and because it does feel like the helmet's just kind of put in there because it's magneto's and it's like well we need to get it in so yeah i didn't feel any reason for him to have it because they don't seem to know there's other empaths she she figures out later on because she obviously feels charged like his range is extended i didn't like the fact that cerebro i i'm sure they said something in x-men about charles having built cerebro I, I, I didn't like the fact that this, you know, this boy Wonders made it. Was yeah. it really? Like 1960s technology, you've made this little thing that looks like a big golf ball in the garden? Really? <laughs> I know you went for the CIA, but like, why has the CIA built this machine when you don't even know empaths exist? It's a bit yeah. tenuous. Like, yeah. anywhere, yeah. Yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, they don't know, like, quite no. Well, well, they had suspicions about how a pass, didn't they? But yeah. they hadn't found any. But Yeah. Pass, yeah. yeah. Oh, well. And Charles reads Frost's mind and finds out Charles' plan to instigate World War Three, And the whole plan is that, oh, mutants will survive because they're the children of the atom. So even after all the nukes are launched, they'll survive all the nuclear radiation, which is like, okay, I wasn't... I don't quite know how that makes sense, but okay, fine, I'll suspend my disbelief. Whatever.
1: Yeah, because even if the mutants survive, like this is something that I never get about, like, about these kind of whatever the film is and somebody wants to create nuclear war, you think, yeah, but it's not like everybody gets wiped out. And then the countryside's all green and lovely. (laughs) Like, What well, these mutants are going to be living in a nuclear wasteland? Yeah, like I mean, I suppose. What, to... what your radioactive radioactivity? It can it could create you, it could get you to mutate even more. It could stop your mutation. You you don't know. It's a stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe they're
0: going for us with like a plan. it doesn't make any sense. Maybe they have a plan. Like oh, we have some mutants. who will be able to fix all of this. Like to suck out the radiation to re to reconstruct the whole planet. Which I guess maybe is plausible, but still misty. I
1: wouldn't want to be that I wouldn't want to be the radiation sucking mutant there. Jeez, what a job that is. <laughs> Got a little job for you, mate. What what is it? Oh, won't you just can you just clear a couple of fields of radiation? Yeah, yeah, wh- where to? Well we need you to do America. We need you to do Europe, Russia, a bit of South America. Are you alright with that? I mean, you'd be joking, aren't you? How long is that gonna take me? You don't know oh, anyway. That'd be kind I love nitpicking.
0: Oh me too. Then we cut back to the CIA mutant base, where a couple of CIA agents are making fun of the mutant use, And, oh, so quickly, the base gets attacked, and we hear booms and wishes, and it turns out Azazel is quickly teleporting all the agents, including Oliver Platt, up into the sky, and then just dropping them to their deaths. And he's also using his blade yeah. and his tail in combat, and Shaw comes in with his helmet, absorbing energy from all the bullets and the rocket and riptides here with the cyclones destroying the cerebral station. I really like the action in the scene. I felt like, especially, like, especially with, like, as a old, I feel like there's something so, like, it's very simple, like, oh, just teleporting up in the sky and dropping the agents. It's very simple, but still effective, and it's just, like, holy crap. And, like, even the way the scene is shot from, like, it's showing this from the mutants, from, like, the kids' perspective. Yeah. And it's, like, it's really setting you into the terror of the I was just like, holy crap, everyone around us is just getting killed off so fast.
1: Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, they come across, yeah, yeah. Oh, I feel, I feel, uh, quiet, I do you not, do not like it as much? Do you have a, a, a grape? No, no, I, I like the bit where it, like, rains uh, agents, that's, that's quite bold. I okay. thought that was like, oh, okay, really going for it. Again, because, you know, they splat on the ground and everything, <laughs> so you don't see them, but you hear them. Oh, yeah. Nice. And again, it's like, this is dark for 12-Head this. And the fact it's a marvel, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. You don't usually do this marvel, but I'm enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, again, the kind of the the others come, you know, the, the, the mutants come across as a bit weak. Like the one guy who dies is the one who can adapt to survive anything, and he's the one who dies. We'll get to that. Like we'll, we'll get like, to that. Like, yes. we're, he, well, we're we're at that. Well, we're almost at that bit. Well, and then you get the 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 butterfly girl. She she's like, oh, I want to go. Like, yeah, okay. Uh, like she just what well, There's no reason for her to go. Like her character, yeah. it's bland, bland, bland. Her character, nothing there to work with. It's not; she hasn't been given anything to work with, so I'm, I'm not to go to her. But there's just nothing there. She trots off with him, and he, he's like, "What are you doing? What?" And then he's like, "Oh, just let it, just let it go." You, she's no loss. so off she, yeah. off she goes. So I, yeah, I don't know. It's, anyway. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I don't know. That doesn't make too much sense to me either about Angel going. I'm frustrated over that. It's like, "Yeah." character not much work with there. I do like how Shaw comes in. Like he's like he gives the mutants a chance to join him and wipe out humans. And I feel like he does it in a very like casual manner. He's not doing it in a way that's too like too stressing. He's just like, hey you know, if you want to join me, come join me. I mean, aside from the one part where he's like, oh if you're not with us, then by definition you're against us. I feel like aside from that moment, I feel like that's more like a more stressing moment. But aside from that, like he's more casual about it. You know, which I like it. Again, it fits with his suave air that Kevin Bacon brings in. Yeah, so right. Angel is about to go off. But then Darwin is like oh pretending to join them, but then tries to protect Angel while Alex comes in to shoot the plasma disc but shots and grabs that which is like also like okay, I guess they don't know. Okay, so they don't know that he can absorb the energy. So I guess they they should have known he that they shouldn't have you know, that Alex shouldn't have shots of plasma disc but like they didn't know. But still like so Shaw takes a hold of it and then descends it just right down Darwin's mouth and his body that's when he dies. Like his body is like trying to contain the energy, but he ends up dying. So now we're at this point. You know, as you were saying before, it's like I don't really care for this. Like I feel like this is such a huge mistake for the movie to do because Darwin is like such a versatile character. Like he can adapt to any environment he's in. Like he 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 showed it off earlier, putting his head in the into the, and a little aquarium, a little water tank, and it's like, oh, he, he grows gills, the
1: fish tank, yeah. he grows girls. Well, there's a guy hitting him with a baseball bat, and he's like, brick. Yes. Yeah, and I was like, okay, they, yeah. they, they killed the most interesting character. It's like, it's like, who the hell made this decision? And even in the comics. Like, who, who signed off on even this? even in the
0: comics, he's very really versatile. Like, he can create hardened skin for himself. If you put him in pitch black darkness, he would gain night vision. He can survive fire. He can survive being put in outer space, and also in the comics, yeah, survived, mm, he survives. He yeah. survives Hella's Death touch in the comics when he uh, makes contact with her death touch. It turns him into a dust deity,
1: a dust god. Yeah. It's just like, well, me- maybe, maybe they were gonna have him come back as I don't know, but but oh, the, the thing for me is like, I, like, I, don't oh, really, like, I don't really, I ki- don't really, I don't really care about these kids. I don't care. Like I like Nicholas Hall, but I don't care. I don't care what happens to them. I care about Mystique, and because because for me, like this is this is sometimes the issue when you've got um, when you've got actors as good as Fassbender and McAvoy. When you have other people, it's like I don't really care about you. Lot. It can like, overshadow. Them. Yeah, overshadow to it pad out the oh well, no, they're just too good for. Them. No offense to them, it's not their fault. But they're just they're that much time's given over to Eric and, and wow. Charles that you've no interest in the others. They they're just there to pad out the runtime a bit, you know, the, the training montage. But then then they get attacked and they don't do anything. And it's like they just they just come across as like vastly overpowered kids. And it's like right wow. okay. And it's a bit like I don't I don't really care what happens to you. You kind of can we get back to them? where's Eric where's where's Charles? So I suppose it's, it's I, don't, I don't know. It's for me I'm a bit like yeah all right. And then they kill the most interesting character. And I'm like what are you doing?
0: Like, justice, justice why, for Darwin. Like,
1: well, yeah, it was just—it's just like why? Why have you? Because, like you said, he's the most interesting one. Like one's got laser bit rays, one's got—you know Beast's got feet at this point. You know, she's got wings. The other guy screeches, but the, he doesn't fly at this point. He just screeches oh. and smashes windows. It's like oh, big ock. You know, it's—it's yeah. it's like all right. The others, it's like the least interesting ones. Because there's a few of the characters that do feel like, like I said earlier, like, oh, well, he's kind of like Cyclops, but he's not Cyclops. He's kind of like Nightcrawler, but he's not Nightcrawler. They do feel like slightly less impressive versions of, of better characters we've seen before. And that's not, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just saying that's... Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, that again, yeah. like Darwin, he also has the ability to turn into pure energy if he really needs to, like, in the comic. So it's like, if it's a plasma, if Shaw's energy was really too much for him, he could have just turned into pure energy and he'd still be alive, like in energy form.
1: Why didn't he just create a hole in his throat and have it come out of his, just have it come out the front? Adapt. Oh, just have it come out. Adapt.
0: How? You know.
1: It's funny. It, 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 well, he, he starts adapting and then all of a sudden he just, yeah. he becomes metal and you think, right, well, that'll stop it. And then he just turns it to dust. Yeah. Cause you you can see where they got the the dusting effect from the Avengers because they use it in this loads, loads of people like oh. like loads of people just fritter away, <laughs> and like another another person who's dead, like loads of people just turn to dust, and it's like why 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 there's a scene where someone just turns to dust, I'm like, oh sorry no no, sorry no I'm thinking about I've I've watched Doctor Who Flux sorry I'm mixing oh, up oh my no. <laughs> God, it's that bad. I've I've amalgamated scenes out of this. Jesus, yeah. But there there are a couple of dust like that bit. Sorry, that bit yep. with Darwin is a bit is a bit Avengers dusty. Yeah, okay. definitely. I didn't, I didn't make that, I didn't make that connection, but now I can see it. And
0: also, by the way, Irika Kaseki who played Darwin, he also was in the Twilight movies. I don't know if you know knew that, but he plays one of the vampires, Lawrence, one of the oh. villainous vampires.
1: Is he in the first one? He's in the first I've, one. I think I've the seen first him. one and the second yeah, yeah. one. I've only seen the first one. Clayton, Clayton made me watch it. Clayton and Shaw made me watch it. (gasps) Very nice for their podcast. So good episode, but oh god, you know when you're just like, why did you make me watch this?
0: Yeah, but oh well. well. So that's Darwin's death for you—a terrible mistake—and now we cut to Moscow, where that Soviet military official familiar meets with Shaw and yeah, General uh, Armor Volkov. And Shaw orders him to place missiles in Cuba, which he isn't up for. But when Azazel, Angel, and reptile suddenly appear, the general is just like, "Oh, actually, I'm so much more inclined to follow your orders now, Sean. Yeah. And then we go yeah. back to the mutants, to Charles, meeting up with them, and they're upset over the loss of Darwin. And Charles is like, "I want to send you all back home," but Eric is like, "No, we need these mutants." So Shaw's now it's like, oh, you know, you know what? I have a place for you to take refuge, and which of course we'll, you know, we'll we we'll cut to that later. We'll see that's the his Westchester mansion, which, you know, will end up be, you know, becoming the academy. You know, the good old, you know, Xavier Institute.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, the kids built this. Beast's built this. He's built the X Men plane, and I'm like, really? Like Xavier's had that since the '60s? Because that strikes me as very 2000s. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm like, really? Like, really? And I'm not, to be fair, I know, I know, you know, they're pushing to space. I've seen First i I've seen first Man with Ryan uh, Ryan Gosling. I know, I know. Ooh, I
0: certainly that. You
1: know, I'm struggling to see
0: that.
1: Oh, if you're not. Oh, great film. And watch the behind the scenes for it as well. Like, if you get a DVD or the Blu ray or whatever, watch the behind the scenes because the way they made it's Ooh. amazing. Won't spoil it for you. So I know they've got, like, they've got these supersonic, so it's not massively outside the realms, but I don't like the fact that they just have this kid, he's, oh, he's in, remember this? He invented it. Remember this? He invented it. Who invented Minotaur's helmet? Oh, some, some Russians. Really? Is that it? Yeah, some Russians. Why? Uh, There were Russians. Yeah, I know there were Russians. Why did they make it? I don't, I don't know. They just wanted to make it.
0: Just crafting, inventing.
1: Just, you know, just, just you know, they're, they're good. They're good. Ironsmiths or whatever the hell it's made up. I don't know. <gasps> i like sometimes it's better to have the mystique is that you know that's all i'm saying sometimes it's better not to answer the question because yeah. i like like that helmet and the fact that like he can't read eric's mind especially in the you know the first x-men noise where where xavier uh, sorry Charles yeah xavier finally tries to read eric's mind and he's like what are you doing in there charles like i love all that yeah. <gasps> uh, and now the cia is holding
0: fast captive they're like, uh, and they're like, oh, who are we fighting a war with? And that's when we have the moment that we pointed out earlier when Frost cuts a circle out of glass window with a diamond finger, to you know give them some answers. And also, I was like, uh, the CIA doesn't have any measures to suppress her abilities. Okay, fine, whatever. I'll believe that.
1: <gasps> this is the same CIA that run that mutant base that just got overrun by, you know, Hurricane Guy and Butterfly Girl, so they're not they're not that top notch, true, really.
0: True, And the Russians are now sending their missiles to Cuba, and the U.S. is planning to intercept it, and if Russia delivers the missiles, the U.S. will take it as an act of war, and now we're heading toward the Cuban Missile Crisis, which I appreciate. I like how this really does set us within this historical period. I feel like it makes it, it makes it feel palpable.
1: Yeah, I mean, people were just expecting, you know, the the mushroom to go up really so or the other balloon to go up so i think i think it was one of those moments where it could have gone either way and they do use it well in this film I, I do appreciate it um you know the whole bit with the the soviet ship the american ship where they're like comrades thank you for your service and then the other guy's like it's been an honor sailing with you or whatever he says So yeah it's, it's good yeah. I enjoy it
0: and now we have Charles taking his mutants and and this is when Eric, I'm like, I don't know how you survive living in such hardship. Again, like, you know, as we said before, they'll poke at different upbringings. And now Charles gets the training them. We've got the wings being built for Banshee. This little, like, focusing device that's built for Alex to be put on his chest to focus the plasma energy into the beams. And Hank comments on the beauty of Raven's DNA, which I kind of feel like that reminded me of. Charles was using his mutation flirtation tactic, except I feel like Hank, like Hank wasn't doing it like to be flirtatious specifically. I think he was just genuinely being like, oh, your DNA really is beautiful. Like, I think he's looking at it through a, a scientist's perspective.
1: I mean, they almost kiss, and then they just forget about it. It's Because like, like you kind of get the building towards something. Well, and they didn't, they didn't forget about it.
0: Pla- I don't think they forgot about it, about it at all, though. I think that they were purposely doing that to build up tension between them. It's definitely a love triangle between her, Hank, and Eric.
1: Do you think so? I mm, I don't know. Interesting. I think so. I I, I, I don't know. I'll have to watch the X Men films. But I I never got the impression that there was anything like there was anything like that between exit uh between uh, Magneto and her. To be honest, I and, and I'm not sure, talking sure about the other movie because I I don't yeah. think she I don't think he's romantic I don't think he's got romantic feelings for her. To be honest, I think he I think he sees her as a means to an end, and he agrees with her, and he's like, "You're never going to be free." yeah so yeah and, and again he's he's more emotionally in touch probably a bit too much but he's more emotional than Charles is Charles is you know more introverted as you probably would yeah. be so yeah I think yeah <laughs> anyway.
0: and then Charles is testing Eric and, and Charles is like I believe that true focus lies somewhere between rage and serenity and Charles reads his mind sees a young Eric with his mom and a menorah and he's like you know, you know, tapping into his childhood and just trying to, really trying to find the light within Eric and helping him to realize that he, he can focus on that rather than focusing on all the darkness, the hatred, the anger inside of him. And when Eric does that, when he focuses on that light from his past, he is able to finally summon up enough strength to turn the satellite. And which I like that moment. Again, another little bonding moment between Charles and Eric, even though you know how the relationship will unfold at the end of the movie. It's like, you know, they're trying to get on the same playing field, the same plane, and you're, you're, again, you're still rooting for Eric to overcome his darkness, his, his thirst for vengeance. And yeah. then JFK makes his famous announcement about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh-oh, I think the stakes. And then we have Hank bringing Raven to serums, so I can change the physical appearance, do away with it so they can blend in with humans. But Raven, as it turns out, is not up for this, and she, she had like a brief, mo- another brief moment talking about Eric earlier, and she was encouraging her again to embrace her mutant form. But Hank still wants the serum, and he's like, "You know, my feet and your blue state, your blue form will never be seen as beautiful, even if human society ends up accepting mutants." Then we have Charles and Eric playing chess. When Eric announces he wants to kill Shaw, and he believes mutants are the next stage of human evolution, he believes humans will attack mutants. But Charles is really pushing him not to kill Shaw.
1: Yeah, because Charles is very much like there's no, there's no going back. I don't think Charles has killed like he's killed quite a few people up to now. Like I don't think there's any turning back for him. <gasps> so it's a little bit, you know, like uh, yeah, he's killed plenty, of, you know, plenty of Nazis up to this point. So. Why is this one guy, What you know?
0: I feel like that is a trope. uh, That is a trope. Where it's like, hey, if you kill this one person, it's going to change your life. Even if you killed, if you killed plenty of other people in the past already. (laughs) It's that trope. Yeah.
1: Charles isn't very clever in this one.
0: (laughs) And then Hank injects himself with his serum. Which briefly turns his his feet into regular old human feet. But then, oh no, it, just, it transforms him into his very blue form that we all know and love from the comics, because it's, like, it, it enhances his DNA. It didn't, like, it didn't restrict it. It just enhanced it.
1: But then he ends up looking worse than, as you said, Kelsey Grammer looks in, you know, X-Men The Last Stand, which is what, five years before? I don't know if... So, in five years. I don't, I don't know the exact years, but something like that. And again, I do think. Yeah, it's X Men Last Stands 2006, and X Men First Class 2011. Okay. So, that's what, oh, five okay. years? So, so, okay. So, taking out even making it four years later, if they're making it doing the effects, they, they can't get any yeah. better. Yeah, Grammar,
0: uh, really, Grammar like... definitely looks better, definitely. Yeah. It
1: just looks
0: odd. And then Raven shows up in Eric's bed at, in a human form to try to woo him, but he encourages her to embrace her natural state, saying it's. Perfection, as he puts it, and they share a kiss. And
1: well, also, this is where we get a cameo from the original, don't we? Yeah, so
0: because
1: like, he's like, Get out of here, yes, yeah, so, uh, come back when you're a few years old. Yes, yeah, so Rebecca
0: Roman, yes, who played Raven previously in the, uh, in the previous X Men movies as Order Raven because he has that moment where it's like, Oh, do you want me to be Order? Raven is like, Do you want me to be Order? and that's when she transforms into Order Raven. So yeah, that was a nice little cameo. I did like that. Yeah, it was. <gasps> then we have a callback to Charles and Raven's first meeting, when like when Charles is in the kitchen and Raven pops in at her nude blue state, and a like, callback to the prologue. And Charles is very dismayed by this,
1: <gasps>
0: and it was just kind of like humorous. It's like oh, to see how put off he was by that. And she accuses him of wanting to blend in with humanity rather than sticking with Raven and her mutant kind. Again, like you know, as I was saying before, they pointed out like. They pointed out his, his desires. Yeah. And next day, the mutants suit up. They realize Hank is now in his beast form. And they take off into the Blackbird jet that Hank designs. Alex is, oh, Alex is hesitant. He was the one who was hesitant about the yellow and dark blue G- G4 suits they wear. And I don't know. I like the suits. It's like, you know, you're getting close to the comic book design. You know, it's not the exact design, but you're getting close to there. Yeah. And also, Eric and Alex were the ones who complimented Hank on his look. Although, Hank was not, uh, did not take that kindly to the compliment from Eric at first. No, no, he was just like, oh, grab, grabbing him up. No, oh, he didn't like that. But Eric was being genuine. He was like, hey, you know, that's a good look for you.
1: Yeah, he just comes across a bit, you know, a bit, bit like that, doesn't he?
0: <laughs> and now we go to Cuba. The so Russian ships are heading in towards the country and its American blockade. And then the mutants are flying in, and this is where like the whole climax is happening. And there's a funny moment where Charles uses, Charles uses his telepathy to make a Russian soldier fire a missile at one of their own Russian ships. It's like a ship that's heading straight towards the line because Charles had killed off the crew on that whole ship. And I felt so bad for that soldier who Charles took over because then another one, one of the other soldiers, was like, Congratulations, you just averted nuclear war. And a soldier is just taken away to the brig, even as he has no idea what Charles made him do. What Charles was doing with the mind controlling And
1: It's like I yeah. It's the communist. It's the communist system. I mean, you see, you know, it's the communist system. It's it's you haven't followed your orders. You've disobeyed the orders. So yeah, okay, personally, you've done well, but actually, you've gone against what you meant to do. <laughs> Take him to the brig. The communist. Uh... You, you know. Uh, uh, anybody wants to learn about you know the soviet system it, it was brutal so go you know by all accounts go 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 give it a read oh well, yeah away you go he, yeah siberia job that i reckon the old gulag definitely oof,
0: oof damn well
1: what would
0: well, have happen on a different ship though like if it happened on american ship would they still punish the soldier the same
1: way well not in the same way not in the same way i think you would have probably depends i mean you you'd, you'd You'd get reprimanded and they'd probably charge you and I don't know, a bit of a blemish on your record. You probably wouldn't get promoted. But no, not in in the same way. Not at all. Yeah, yeah, if anyone who's done any reading about the Soviet Union, no, no, (laughs) you'd much rather be the American side, trust me. I know sometimes, America, you give yourself a hard time. (laughs) But, you know, no one's perfect. But, yeah, if you know American or Soviet, you know, who do you want to be punished by? Yeah, America's your best bet. Okay. Why? Why do you Why do you think at the end of the war, lot loads of German forces, you know, essentially marched towards the British and the Americans because they knew if they got taken by the okay. Soviets, yeah, that yeah, they wouldn't survive. They would not yeah. survive. <laughs> look, look at how many POWs the German the, the Soviet Union took. Look at how many German soldiers they took, and then look how many went back alive.
0: That is a good point. Just That's saying, point.
1: history's history's fascinating. History's fascinating.
0: Yeah. Oh, it is. Like I, I'm but saying, you know, as someone who is, you know, learning more about history, especially American history, and it's like I have many criticisms to make about my own country and the atrocities America has committed. So, you know, it's very interesting to learn. All very interesting to learn.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, try, try. Yeah, the thing with history, try and get a, Try and get a viewpoint of, of as many different perspectives as you can. Oh yeah. Because you'll find uh, the different times, different different viewpoints prevail. Yeah, but it's never the full story. Never the full story. Yeah.
0: Okay, so we also have uh, Banshee now using his ultrasonic blasts and wings, and he uses echolocation on Shaw submarine to track it down. So his his whole thing is like, oh, I'm going to use ultrasonic blasts to fly around. But so what he does it is more like hovering. It's not even like flying that. Like, not even, like, flying that fast, really, is it? It's more, like, hovering? I don't know. It just feels like he should be flying faster. But then it's like, oh, but if he flies too fast, won't
1: he also break his neck? Well, he's a mutant, so I'm guessing, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Maybe not. I, at this point, I don't really care. I, didn't, I wasn't a big fan of the whole screeching and flying around business. <gasps> but, yeah. you know, was a means to an end, I suppose.
0: Uh, I love the moment when Eric uses his powers to heft Shaw's sub out of the water. I feel like I feel like that scene really does show you just how massive of a task this is, like how difficult it is. And how, like, even Michael Fassbender, the way he physically conveys the difficulty of this task. And, you know, I just love that moment. And you also have Henry Jackman's score, his orchestral score, just pumping up the whole, the whole climax of that whole scene. And then, oh no, the reptide and the Cyclone add the Blackbird, and... And so they crash land on the beach Now we, and so we, we, we've got X-Men fighting Shaw and company personally Riptide gets taken out of commission so fast <laughs> I was like, wow, that was really quick So I guess Riptide just isn't going to be around much for the, whole, for the climax, huh? And so Riptide doesn't really do much in the movie, really I mean, aside from like, you know, throwing Cyclones around But I feel like Riptide is kind of like a bland character
1: there's lots of bland characters in this. I mean, as I said before, the mutants in this film, some of them do. A lot of them feel like blander, less interesting versions of what we've got yeah. before. I mean, like you know, look at some. Look at some of the other X Men films. You've got Nightcrawler.
0: Nightcrawler. You've yeah.
1: got uh, you have got Beast. You've got um, well, the the uh, the guy what? with the flames. Oh, what's his name uh, the, in X Men? Pyro. TV, Pyro. You got Pyro. You've got Bobby. Um, oh yeah, Iceman. The one Bobby. Just, Iceman. Yeah, Iceman. You've got um, Go one. You've got. Go on. You know. You've got Storm. You've got Rogue. You've got Cyclops. You know. Th- you've got. Mag- uh, you've got a, a, a Phoenix. Jane Gray. I mean, look at those characters, and then line them up against the characters in this. No one's right. going to be picking these. The but no one's going to be going. Oh, I like the did butterfly you, girl. Like, do you know what did I mean? you
0: realize tied is kind of like basically a weaker version of Storm?
1: Well, yeah, they all are. So like you know, I like I like the guy who plays I think he does a good job. The guy who plays what's his name? Havoc or whatever he's called. Oh yeah. Uh, he he essentially Lucas is, Cole
0: as, yeah, as Havoc.
1: Yeah. Cause I know he's like he's Cyclops younger brother. So he's like Cyclops or not, Cyclops. Then you've got the one who makes the Storms, who's kind of like Storm but not Storm. And then you know you've got you've got the butterfly one. I don't yeah. know which she's meant to be, she's anyway. <laughs> uh and then you've got whatchamacallit? Um the one who's not nightcrawler. Oh and I, I, I like, date all. I yeah, at all. Azazel, who's who's Nightcrawler, not Nightcrawler, and you're just like, is this? Yeah. It's just what I mean. It's like they they feel a little weak, like like just in terms of like they're not as interesting. Yeah. And, and even, it's like out of all the things you could have and done, even just the way, even like... just
0: the way we're spreading out the mutants, and we have like like many fights all around, even like with Alex and Sean. Fighting Angel for a bit, and it's just like to have their own little fight, and it's kind of like weird how it's spending them all over. But when we we only really care about Charles, Eric, and then Shaw, everyone else is like okay, you're just having your own fights, whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would have liked the film to be more brutal, like in that respect, just start killing off the other mutants, like just just to, just to really like have this breakdown between Charles and like yeah, because the rest of the film's quite dark. Yeah. yeah. No, then then it becomes more about oh, we're gonna go our own. I'm going to go my own way, Charles, you know, all that. It's yeah. like, I know that's how we taught us in the, in the, in the Migni, uh, uh, Sri McAllen, but obviously Fastbender doesn't talk like that, but because it is, there's, there's certainly, because certainly a bit of Irish in there. He has a slight like, Irish yes. to his accent. Yeah. yes, I caught uh, that. But, I caught that. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> but, uh, yeah. which I suppose makes sense. Um, but given he, given he is Irish, even though he was born in Germany, uh, West Germany. Yeah. I, I kind of get that, but it, it's fair enough. But, um yeah
0: there you go and then eric and shaw get into their own fight because shaw has been absorbing all the nuclear power again the service has a nuclear engine so he's been absorbing all the nuclear power eric goes into the nuclear reactor itself and eric is facing shaw in there shaw isn't able to read eric's mind in there until there's like a crack in the wall and then shaw is able to read eric's mind to see what's going on and Shaw is really trying to convince them to side with him. He's like, hey, Eric, come on. I helped you embrace your power. This is the time of the mutants. Uh, oh, by the way, there's a, there's a moment where Raven is briefly disguised as Shaw. I did like that a lot. when uh, like With, yeah. with, with uh, Azazel, to fight Azazel. That was good. I like that. But back to Eric and, and Shaw. And then, as Eric calls Shaw his creator, he takes the opportunity to remove Shaw's helmet with like this metal wiring. He's been able to control. So now, finally, we've got the helmet off of Shaw. Shaw can now can get into his head and free him. So now Eric has the advantage over Shaw. And then Eric puts the helmet on himself against Shaw's, Shaw's objections. So and now Shaw can't read his mind, can't control him. And now, this is, a, this is a good scene where it's like Eric is like, hey, Shaw, I agree with your believe that mutants are the supreme race, but also, you did kill my mom. So now he, he takes out an old coin from decades ago, and he's like, we're, we're gonna do something. I'm gonna count to three, and I'm gonna move this coin. And that's what he does. He moves the coin, just slowly pushes it straight through Shaw's brain. As Shaw has to keep Shaw in place, because otherwise, I like, can't let him go, because otherwise, Shaw can let loose all his power. And, and I love, like, how this whole scene is edited, because it's like, well, the camera's following Shaw's head, we're going alongside it, as the coin goes through his head, we're cutting back to Shaw's, as he's feeling the pain of that, cause he's connected with Shaw's mind, and then finally cuts back to Shaw as the coin pops out the back of his head, with all his little blood and brain gunk on it, and then the coin falls to the floor and it's like, holy crap, that moment went hard, and the score is just throbbing. and it's like, you knew it was coming, you knew Eric was going to take his revenge on Shaw, but when it actually happens, it's like, oh damn, this is, this is, uh, this is devastating, it's like, oh damn, it's like, it's Eric reaching his full arc, you know, it's like, oh, he is you know, diving forward into his thirst for vengeance.
1: Yeah, obviously Charles feels the whole, the whole pain of it as well, so it's,
0: oh yeah, it's it, it, it's excruciating. Obviously, it's like oh, I mean, obviously, f- f- feeling to feeling the pain of someone, like pushing a coin through, through someone's vein, and then having a psychic connection with them after experiencing that. Obviously, it's not going to be pleasant. No, no, it just also feels like again darkness. It fits with the dark tone. It's like I feel like some like I don't know if the MCU basically. I don't know if an MCU movie would go like would go in this direction. You know, it might be a bit too grim. Now, the, the joint war room, both the US and the Soviets actually, they want to wipe out the mutants on the beach. And there's like, there's the one guy who's alright with Moira being sacrificed as collateral damage.
1: Yeah, that bit's really stupid. It's like, they've almost been at war. And then it's like, oh, we spoke to the Russians. They're going to fire the mutants too. I'm like, oh, for God's yeah. sake, no. What are you talking about? Where, where, where's this phone been for the last half an hour when you could have rang them and said, so, by the way,. We've asked them to turn around, but they won't turn around. Oh, yeah, anyway. I
0: agree, yes. So now, Eric brings out Shaw's corpse, and he wants the mutants to join him against the humans. And the ships are going to launch their missiles against the beach. And nobody is responding to Moira, and she's making her calls. Then the missiles get fired, but Eric stops the whole barrage. And this is when he have the moment we pointed out earlier, when he's like, he wants to fire them back at the ships. And Shaw's like, Eric... Don't do this. The men on those ships are just following orders. And Eric says, I've been at the mercy of men just following orders. Never again. So then he fires them. But Sean is like, is shoving him over, forcing him to drop the missiles. And then Royal comes in. And I. This is like another little nitpick. It's like, hey, you know what you can really do to, to stop someone who has, who has the power to control metal? Shoot some bullets at them. See how that really turns out. And that's what she does. She shoots at him, and obviously he's able to deflect the damn bullets. And one of them hits Charles in the back, specifically. Like, like it doesn't it did not penetrate, because he has the armor. But still, like it hit him. And it, obviously, you when know, we, we find out, oh, it hit him in the spine again. No penetration, but still the force of it ended up injuring him and paralyzing him.
1: Oh, I think it did. I think it did go into him. I'm sure it did.
0: I don't think I don't think it. I thought it didn't because he had the armor on. I didn't think it penetrated him, but like the force of it, like was so powerful. Like obviously, borders, even if it doesn't penetrate you, like if you're a head and spine, the force of it would still like injure your spine enough to paralyze you. You know, again, that's what I thought. I, I didn't think it penetrated him, but maybe I don't know. Mm. I don't know. And Eric almost killed Moira, choking her with her dog tags out of fury. Again, like he he, al- he, he almost chokes two people in this movie, Emma Frost and then Moira. And he's like he wants he wants Charles to side with him, but Charles won't and then oh also like he drops the missiles. Eric drops the missiles. He isn't firing them at the ships anymore, so you know, the ships are all safe and that's that's when we had the moment earlier when the soldiers were like, Oh, you know, it's been a it's been a pleasure serving with you. And now Raven is gonna go join Eric and she and Charles have their goodbye. Then Reptide Angel as they all go off with Eric and Raven reminds Hank, mutant and proud. And then they teleport away. And then Saul says, I feel like this is the movie trying to really hammer it into our heads when Saul says it out. like, she's like, I can't feel my legs! And it's like, yeah. I get that. I didn't need you to actually say that, Charles. I can determine myself that you don't, that you don't, and you can't feel your legs, and it's also like well,
1: that made sense to me because he's telling them he's, isn't? Because he? they, they, until this point, you think he's all right because he he moves a bit, and then it's it's I'm like right, let's get you up, and he's like, I can't feel my legs, and it's like, uh-huh. and I think it's the shock in the way he reacts because he realizes like, and yeah. also, I don't think Eric knows. I don't think he knows what he's done. I can't remember. The, I, don't, I don't know if we see the next time they meet, but I, he doesn't. When he leaves, I don't think he realizes think he how badly injured Charles yeah. is. Because I think if he did know, he might have stayed. But anyway, yeah. that's another I argument.
0: I also do wonder: Does this really have to happen now? Like, does Charles have to paralyze now and be put in a wheelchair, or could we have just waited a bit? I don't know. It's like we don't have we don't have to knock down all the Easter eggs in first class. You know, we can wait a bit. But again, nitpick. You know.
1: Yeah, I I didn't mind so much, but I know what you
0: mean. So now the Cuban Missile Crisis is over, and we've got Charles and Moira back at the mansion, which is being turned into the Xavier Institute. And Charles now has his wheelchair with the X-Wheels. Little X-Design. Okay, we have some cringy dialogue here, when Charles is like, I suppose I am a real professor now, aren't I? Next thing you know, I'll be going bald. And it's like, okay, we had the whole ball thing earlier with the 3 bro. we had that line earlier, we don't need you to hammer it into our heads further. And then Moira, like, you know, you pointed this out before, when Moira coins the term x to X-Men, because, oh, you know, as you said, there's still a G-Man, just without the G. It's
1: extension, man. No, it like-
0: And Moira promises to keep the x mens location secret, but Sean always kisses her and then wipes her memory clean. So now when she, we cut to her back at the CIA and she's like, I can remember fragments, including a kiss. And the head agent is like, see, see <laughs> this is why the CIA <laughs> has no place for a woman. No, he's,
1: like, he's like, oh, for God's sake. I thought that was really funny. I really like that. <gasps> darkly, darkly humorous. Like, it's def- like, yeah, definitely
0: fitting for that period, for me,
1: Well, it comes from both sides. You get women calling men idiots, men calling women idiots. It's, it's all fair game. As long as it flies both ways, and it's a film after all, it just made me laugh. <laughs> I, did. I was like, yeah, because you would, oh, for Christ's sake, here she goes again. <laughs> so I,
0: I, I would say, I would say, though, even if like women calling men idiots, like it doesn't actually like harm men in the workplace or like just, just in the world. It's not like it would actually oppress them from being able to reach up higher in life. Whereas men, well, men think, you of know, women as being like, oh, you oh, you know, you're weak. You know, you're, you're too emotional. You know, that would actually harm women. You know, oppression. Sexism. Uh, and then... Oh, also, I haven't said this before. I don't think, but... or Oh, maybe I did. But I don't think I really gets... I don't think Moira really gets much to do in this movie. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Um, She's does a decent job, I think. I think she's just there as kind of like the go-between between them. And I think it's the... I do like the scene where she runs back in so they've launched the missiles and she runs back into the, wherever the hell she would helicopter, whatever she would, the plane or whatever she runs into. And she's got the headset and she's like, she's trying to get in touch with the CIA and they've just cut her off. Um, I, I did enjoy that because she's like, Oh Jesus. Like they've, they've, cause really the, the humans prove, they prove Eric, right. The reactive, the, yeah. you know, <laughs> the, 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 the Soviets and the Americans are very reactive. Yeah. And they don't take a time to try and understand the situation at all military minds of course not but um so i, I did enjoy that scene i think she does it she does a good job i like the fact she you know i, I like her entrance it's good entrance she she's in the car and you know they're trying to get in and the guys that like, we're not going to get so oh, we'll get in she strips his clothes off and in she goes so yeah yeah okay. makes okay. sense doing what she needs to get, get in trying to find out this this what this general's doing because uh, obviously they keep tabs on everybody are you know, red under the bed and all that kind of thing so that that made sense i think i think she she does a better job than. I mean, yeah, I, I, I had no issues with her character, really. I think she. It makes sense what she's there yeah. for.
0: Interesting, interesting, okay. I don't know. I just feel like even like when, was, was, when Sean was wiping her memory clean, it's just like, oh, that feels like a waste. Even though she does get her memory back later on, it's like apocalypse.
1: Well, I get, I guess she has to because he knows. He'll know that the CIA, if he let her keep her memories, the CIA, is, the CIA is going to get out of it.
0: Yeah, I know, I know. So,
1: it's... so he needs. He's trying to protect her, and he's trying to protect them because Who? he's going towards this nuke. So you can you could argue that he he's learned. He's become much more guarded with the humans as well. Not as guarded as you know Eric has. As Magneto has now, but but he's certainly learned. Right now, we need to do this a different way. We need to, you know I mean? Okay. We need to do this a slightly different way. I, that's just what I think, anyway.
0: Okay. I'm so frustrated with Moira's character but, and, what she, and what she has to do in the movie, but I will, I do like that point, though, how, how Sean transforms in that way. He grows. I mean, yeah, being, being more guarded around humans. Like, I like that, okay. I like that. Oh, and then so after the same meeting with Moira and the CIA, we are a crash in the mm-hmm. distance, and we cut the Frost and her cell as Eric and his fellow mutants arrive to break her out and recruit her. So now Eric has, he's come in his Magneto costume, he's got like this, he's got the, the red, purple, and black outfit, little horns on his helmet, he's got this cape of sorts, and he's donned the earliest Magneto, and that's it.
1: Yeah, I was really, I was really disappointed in that bit because <laughs> he doesn't. I don't know if they've changed the costume a bit, but it just, it do, just doesn't look as Serene, as good as Serene McKellen does okay, in that role. Yeah, between just didn't have the same look. I
0: preferred, yes, I did. I definitely preferred in McAllen's costume over this. And like you know, Eric or Michael Fassbender, he doesn't wear this costume later on. If I recall correctly, right? I don't think so.
1: No. If I
0: call
1: so. correctly, but But they do they do I think he goes like it's a darker colour of a second. Yeah, but to be fair, I think obviously as we know they, they kind of changed costs a little bit after this. So
0: Yeah, I'm just
1: I'm not sure because it does it does well. I remember it doing quite well. It does well critically and I think it does quite well in a monetary sense as well. So I'm not quite sure why. I mean Maybe the director, I don't know. Maybe the director or the change. you don't know how, how what happens with these things. I'm theory. just looking at the
0: photo right now of, of even like Ian McAllen's costume, and it's just like, yeah, I so I prefer this so much over over Michael Fassbender's costume at the end of First Class. Oh wow, <gasps> I
1: don't
0: know. Just something about like it's like this gray costume. It's like the gray outfit with like this, yeah, it was a, kind of like the cape going over the side and the helmet. Like it's like this. It's more muted colors compared to the brighter colors of Michael Fassbender's costume, I don't know, I just, I prefer just Ian McKenna's costume more, oh well, but,
1: yeah, that's too high.
0: I did that the same. like, you know, we got, and we got the score playing again over this ending of the movie, again, bringing in Magneto's theme, and, and then that's it! That is First Class! That is the movie, we go right to the credits! Oh,
1: yay, X-Men First Class! What do you think, any final thoughts on this movie? don't think about it too much just enjoy it <laughs> if you think about it too much it falls down it really does but no it, it it's you can do a lot worse it's not the best the x-men you know films have to offer but it's by far from the worst so you know we're not in like dark Phoenix territory here so don't worry
0: oh my god dark Phoenix oh, I I know you haven't seen it if but... you th- if you
1: think that film is bad Arthur dear God in heaven how bad is it Oh, like, okay. yeah. Yeah, that's a good scale. That's a very good scale. I mean, I'm not being ins- I'm not trying to be you know, anybody to listen. To. I'm not trying to insult Arthur on that. I'm just, oh. we, we have very different opinions, but you know I know what, what he likes. I know what you mean. I don't, I don't sometimes like what he likes. I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, if you don't like it, if like, you're going, no, no, how, how bad is it? Like How bad is it? I might have to, ooh, I might have to watch it. Maybe one night when I'm feeling, you know, feeling particularly... When you're brave, you know, when you're feeling brave, let me know if you like it. yeah. Yeah, when I've knocked back a few uh, a few rums or a couple of lagers, yeah, I'll probably... Yeah, God, I have not it's bad, though. <gasps> yeah,
0: anyway. Uh, well, my final thoughts on this movie, again, I just have lots of love for it. Still remains my favourite X-Men movie. We've got lots of nitpicks, as we shared, but still very good. I just feel like this is an emotionally powerful movie. It gets me connected with the characters and, you know, m- most of the characters, especially Charles and, and Eric. I mean, especially like Eric's I just like, oh, watching him grow and then become someone. I, I always find it interesting how Eric, I, I, Magneto in general, how he's a character who comes from, like he's faced bigotry himself, obviously from the Holocaust, and also facing bigotry through humans' discrimination towards mutants. But then Magneto takes all of that hatred that he has endured and then, Transforms it into bigotry that he ends up spouting himself towards humans because he wants to wipe them all out. I find I've always found that bastard like just in general for Magneto would be
1: interesting. Does he want to wipe them out? Oh, he, he does I mean, definitely. I think so. Well, yeah. I mean, it, he's wanting to band mutants together, and I think yeah, the, but I don't think he. Not, I can't remember. I haven't seen the X Men in a while, but he, I don't think he advocates in all that war. He's more, well, they're going to attack us at some point. Cause he's definitely all about before.
0: like mutant supremacy. He's so. he's he's for mutant supremacy, which I kind of feel like is basically wiping out humans.
1: Yeah, I mean, they could be wiped out, but it doesn't have to be a violent wiping out. It can just they'll just die out because we'll we'll will essentially mutants. They they wouldn't they wouldn't we're stronger. We can adapt more. Mm. I think I think that's the that's the kind of way he's thinking. thinking. Whereas Charles is very much of no, we can exist. See, this is the thing, and mm. it's a shame they don't delve more into it. Charles and he says it to him. He's like, Charles, you've said this, you've argued this about Homo sapiens and Neanderthals. The weakest species is going to die out. They're going to die out, Charles. Where the future? Mm-hmm. Where the future? To die, out by,
0: to die out by die know? out naturally. It's like not even the species necessarily going on a mission to kill them off. Just naturally, like.
1: Well, no, no, no I don't think to want to kill them off, but, 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 but the huge... It's like if you think about it, if, if if we found out there was there was a a superior species on the earth. And just by their very nature, they were tougher, they were stronger. It's happened again and again and again. You can go back and back and back. I mean they haven't even there's massive gaps in the in the in the record of, of, of early humans anyway. But every time something superior, a mutation occurs, this is just taken to a fantastical degree. The like, you know, that that species that's there, that doesn't survive. It it, it dies out. So it's that thing of, well, we're going, to, we're going to take over eventually because there'll be none of them left. We, we can survive. We're more harder. We've, we've adapted to our environment better. You know, when all the oil runs out, they're all going to freeze to death. We won't freeze to death. That kind of thing. So I think for me, it's like, well, if that's going to happen, but then if that happened to humans now, or we found out that we, I don't think we'd, you'd like to think we'd be pragmatic about it and peaceful, oh, but... History history shows you'd like, he'd like us that, to think
0: that you know, like to think he, that I
1: mean the whole you know rage rage against the dying is the light you, you it would not go down that way yeah. so, and that's what Magneto saying. Magneto saying, look Charles you got blinkers on here like you can intellectualize intellectualize you can you you can look at this intellectually sorry as much as you want like it's not going to go down that way. Yeah. So you're better off joining me now before they turn on us, and that's what I liked about Last Stand because you know they found a cure and then started forcibly just shooting them and stuff. Yeah, it was a bit goofy, but they started changing them back into they lost their powers. Yeah, yeah. Even though he has it, it shakes at the end. I love that ending. Anyway, so you know it, it's all that kind of thing. It, it, so you can kind of see where he's coming from, but it's. Yeah, it, it's a true I, mean, I, I do like that but it's, I, I i do like films where you know they kind of very much are like yeah we're, we're going to pause a question for you here mm-hmm. it's good it's good i like yeah. it it is a good film it's it's you can yeah. nitpick it but it's it's a good film and it's What's,
0: yeah what you said about humanity is like yeah it was a way you know oh we'd love to be peaceful you know we'd love for that but oh so, yeah humanity humanity has definitely shown its its capacity for like oh not being peaceful of course like fighting being aggressive and just being are so stupid and selfish and greedy. It's like oh.
1: Well, it's it's like that. It's, I watched Men in Black recently, and I think um, K says to J, he's like, because J's like, well, why don't you tell people about aliens? People wouldn't, people would be all right. He's, you know, people are people are smart, and Kay says to him, no, a person is smart. People are stupid, <laughs> the panicky, impulsive. You know it. That quote sums it up rather well. Such
0: a great moment. Such a great moment for that movie. Holds out well and.
1: So even as I'm looking
0: at, as I'm looking at world events right now, it's like Palestine and Israel, for example. It's just like, why are you, why are people act like this? I can't stand this. I'm watching genocide and colonialism unfold. I don't like this. No, no. It lowers my face in humanity when stuff like this happens, don't care for it. Well, that's X Men First Class, and now I think if we don't have any, if we don't have anything else to say about it, this wonderful little movie that has a lot of little nifty worthy elements. I think we can segue onwards to Good Word, and this is the segment where each of us gets to recommend something—a book, a movie, a TV show, a podcast, music, anything we want. So, Sean, what is your Good Word?
1: Yeah, I'd like to recommend—I'd like to recommend a very little-known podcast called Review Yourself. No, I'm joking. I um, I I'd like to—I'd like to recommend a film. I've not read the book; it's an ad- adaptation. But considering we're watching a Jason McAvoy film, I thought I would recommend Atonement. Oh. So it was an adaptation. Joe Wright directed it. It's an adaptation of the. Um, oh, his name was right there. Joe Wright directed it. it uh, the Ian McEwen book. Uh, I was thinking of McCallum there. The Ian McEwen book. And I actually saw this get filmed because they transformed uh, Beach in the Northeast into uh, Dunkirk. Uh, so I actually Ooh. saw them film this. So it's. Uh, so, yeah, Atonement, really, really good film. Go, uh, go and find it. It's got a very powerful ending as well. Yeah. Well worth your time. And I've also done a podcast episode on it, if anybody's interested, with uh, Brenda from Horrifying History.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah. I started to watch that. I- I'm going to watch this. I just remember my mom watching that years and years ago. And she was uh, quite heartbroken by that movie. And also, I, I she was very pissed off by Cersei Ronan's character. And I know a lot of people hate her character. Like, I know about things she does in that movie, and I'm like, oh, I bet I'll probably hate her too when I watch the film.
1: Well, the thing is, well, yeah, you watch it, listen to my episode afterwards, because <laughs> I go into okay. it. But she, she doesn't, she doesn't understand, she's a kid, she doesn't understand it. I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, that is your impulse. But then when you actually think about it logically, You'll have to watch it. You'll love it. I watched it in cinemas because I'd seen it get filmed. So I went and watched it in cinemas And there. It's one of the best cinema experiences I've ever had, (laughs) which is strange because like the dark nights up there, but then a tournament, but just the ending was just like, I'm uh, sitting there as the lights came up thinking like, oh, what the? Anyway, you go watch it. It's well worth a watch. Yeah. Well worth a watch. (gasps) There's two things I recommend in life, Arthur. Food and films. (sighs) And I take both of them seriously, so, you know.
0: (gasps) Wonderful, wonderful. So that's your good word. Now mine is going to be the new Netflix movie, Fair Play, which is basically a, I would call it a psychological drama that ends up turning into a thriller, particularly in the third act. Like, oh, this is a full-on thriller. And it focuses on this couple who is apparently very close, very loving. But then their relationship begins to collapse once the woman in the relationship gets promoted over him, over her boyfriend at this hedge fund firm that they both work at. So like, they're, they're also co workers. That also adds to the, adds like, a, you know, a tense element to the whole thing. It's like, oh, they're co workers, but they're also in a romantic relationship. And again, she gets promotion over him. And this sets off a whole chain of events that explores just, All of the the jealousy in the relationship The resentment The ambition The toxic masculinity The male privilege And entitlement, male ego I I don't think it's really spoilery me To say that the man The man in this relationship is like Wow, you are definitely a toxic little man (laughs) Acting in ways That I do not care for And the movie really does Do a great job of diving into that And it is very anxiety inducing, like especially again, towards the end, it's like, oh, the anxiety, the sound design, the scores, rattling th- things up. I love the lead performances. The two lead performances, Alden Ehrenreich, who I you know mentioned before, and Phoebe Diner. They're both fantastic, you know, performances. Especially especially Phoebe. Like she is like she is the star in this movie. What she does with, with this role, how she fleshes it out. This is also a directorial debut for Chloe Damont. Who was a direct director and writer of the movie, and I'm really, really pumped to see what what else Chloe Demont will pursue in the future. And again, fair play. I maybe you've been seeing tweets about it, like you know, I know Netflix has been promoting it online. I think they, they did a whole, they did a, they did a whole post where they had like people from HR watch clips from the movie. It was like a little, a little short promotional video. People from HR commenting on the movie on fair play. <gasps> Because I can't, I can't get the actors to promote it, because I'll obviously have a sag after strike, so I can't get the actors to promote Fair Play. Amusing, but again, that is my good word, Fair Play on Netflix. And currently it is my number 7 yeah, on, on my list of top favorite movies, on my, on my list of favorite movies of 2023. This is my seventh favorite movie. So it was high up there. Love it. Well, those are our good words. And now, Sean, I want to thank you so much for coming on to Two Cent Critic. For our breakdown of X Men First Class, and now you get to promote yourself, promote your podcast. Where can people find you online?
1: Oh, I love this part. I don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Arthur. Yeah, it's been uh, we've certainly deep diving into that one. Thanks a lot. So, yeah, I'm Sean from the Review it Yourself podcast. It's just called Review it Yourself. Uh, it's but yeah, uh, Review it Yourself, the podcast with the sigh. No politics, no pandering, no point. Yeah, it's it's it's. Quite a, Arthur's been on. Uh, we did reminiscence in part of the defend it yourself series. So. Well, you bring on your favorite bad film and defend it. Hey, I defend Batman and Robin, so you know we all have our vices. It's just like a more of a. It's a film podcast where we I have you know guests on every week, pretty much where we we talk about a different film and it's it's just it's just like a conversation. I'd like to think it's like listening to your mates when they're just talking about a film, basically. Uh yeah, new episodes every Monday. We've just done two years. Thanks for mentioning that, Arthur. Yeah, so you can go back and check out our two-year anniversary special, Batman and Robin, um, with Clayton and Sean from Men Who Like Men Who Like Movies. And Arthur contributes there as well It gets very sweary. Naughty, Arthur. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. It's at Yourself Review. We're also on Instagram. It's Review it Yourself Podcast 2021. You can find us on, I think, pretty much anywhere you can find your podcasts, to be fair. And if you like any of the episodes feel free to rate them. You know, you can rate them on good pods. You can, you can also rate on Spotify now and answer some of the Q and A's and stuff if you want to, um, or just, you know, send me a message on, on Twitter or Instagram. I, I'll, I'd appreciate you reaching out. And if you'd like to be a guest, yeah, you know, give me a shout. I, I I'm always, always wanting to, to, you know, get more regulars to come on and then hopefully you have a good time. So yeah, thanks for having me on and, uh, yeah, go check it out. Hopefully.
0: Thanks. And for my thoughts forward, you can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at 2 underscore Critic. You can follow my personal accounts on Twitter, Good Pods, StoryGraph, Letterboxd, and TikTok at author underscore and 18 You can find me on Goodreads at ArthurHowl. If you want to email me, you can reach me at email at 2Scentscritic at yahoo.com. You can also check out my blog at 2Sencecritic.com. And make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, wherever it's in the podcast, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, GoodPod, Overcast, all those services. And especially make sure you do the ratings and the views because they are crucial to spreading us podcasters our, our shows to more listeners. And once again, thank you so much, Sean, for coming on, having a, you know, your first time guest spot here at Two Sense Critic.
1: Strange doesn't feel like it, though. <laughs> Well, we have, <laughs> don't know why we have
0: talked before on on your show, so maybe yeah, that yeah, takes away like the yeah. first time stuff.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. See, I uh, I did all right. I always str- struggle a bit when it comes to formatted. My, my, you know, my podcast isn't formatted, so I sometimes struggle with keeping giving the spoilers to before the plot breakdown. But yeah, <gasps> my podcast is essentially just a massive plot breakdown, <laughs> uh, and I try not to have a breakdown depending on what film I'm watching. So, <laughs> <gasps> oh. but yeah, thanks a lot.
0: And until next time, stay healthy and stay strong.